0: Now, while women will always be a problem for guys like us, most of the great art in the world is about that very problem. Good-looking people, they got no spine. Their art never lasts. Then they get the girls, who'
1: we're smarter.
0: Yeah, I can really see that, now. Yeah, because great art is about you know, the guilt and longing Love disguises sex, and sex disguises love. Hey, yeah, let's face it, <laughs> yeah, you got a big head start. I'm glad you were home. I'm always home. I'm uncool. Me, too. You're doing great. You know? it's the only true currency in
1: this bankrupt
2: world is what you share with someone else when you're uncool.
1: Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. My name is Tom Nolan.
2: And I'm Mario Ponzio, and I have moisturizer downstairs, Tom. This is episode 17. I don't like
1: moisturizer. It makes my hands greasy. Oh. And then I just... I ended up just, like, shaking them like
2: this to dry them off. Do you want that? Like, like because of bees? Like, you think there's bees (laughs) surrounding you? By the way, he's, he's waving his hands wildly. After 115 episodes of this, Tom still hasn't learned that you can't just go, like, I'm doing it like this. It doesn't translate... I always just format. assume that
1: people can tell.
2: The way that the air
1: is traveling over the mic, they would be like, he must be waving his hands back and forth. Our, our listeners
2: are all Matt Murdock.
1: <laughs> That'd be funny.
2: Are they still making that comic book? Yeah, they're still making the comic book. They're not making the Netflix show anymore. Oh, that's too bad. Charlie Cox is back to being unemployed. Oh, geez. I'm sure he got something else going for him. Um, Maybe not. Do you know what we don't have going for us, Tom? Movies coming out in theaters. Because we got West Side Story postponed. Black, oh, they did postpone Black it officially. Widow postponed, and something else. Do you think the so- Anna de Armas Ben Affleck sex movie got postponed? What movie is that?
1: I don't remember. It's is something. that just like a videotape that they took?
2: Probably. <laughs> it's called something.
1: No, was uh, wasn't she in? Oh, I thought she was Deep in... Water. Deep Water.
2: Yeah.
1: No, oh, that sounds terrible.
2: I'm sure it is, but I'm sure. Ben Affleck loves. I feel like Ben Affleck's
1: gonna have a bad 2021. He's doing that weirdo Ridley Scott Matt Damon movie. He's in that. The Snyder Cut is
2: coming back out. Well, it's based on a Patricia Highsmith book.
1: Is Anthony Mingela gonna do it?
2: Adrian Lynn.
1: I don't know who Adrian Lynn is.
2: He did uh, Unfaithful, Indecent Proposal, and Jacob's Ladder. This is gonna be. You know what? I
1: don't know. Real 90s gem. I don't know about that one. Unfaithful is not too bad.
2: What do you get nominated for Best Director for? Jacob Slatter. Oh, Fatal Attraction. That makes sense. (laughs) Fatal Attraction makes sense. Not Jacob
1: Slatter? That's so surprising.
2: He also did Nine Half Weeks. Oh, oh my God. Loves penises and vaginas. There's no way that movie is not terrible. With Ben Affleck? It's going to be awful. It's going to be awful. But that got postponed, and so did. Many other films. We have nothing, nothing left to look forward to.
1: Postponed till when though? I don't
2: know. Like, uh, West Side Story got postponed to next December. <laughs> uh, Black Widow got postponed till May. Uh huh. So that pushed back all the other yeah Marvel movies. Like Eternals is now next winter. Wow,
1: that's too bad because that Chloe Zhao thing is going to be. It's big. They're going to regret that. Which one? Well, she just directed Nomadland. Oh, Which, right. you know, is eating up film festival prizes. Yeah. Like, there's, you know, it, it needs it them to tiff, live. Right? It won TIFF, It won TIFF. It Which one's the Golden Bear? Venice? Venice, yeah. It won Venice, too. Um, and Frances McDormand is, is, you know, raking them in also, so... She
2: likes those Oscars.
1: She does. Oscars going to be weird this year. We're going to actually have to decide what we're going to use for our best of criteria. Because there's going to be stuff that doesn't come out until, like... December. That's it? We'll just do it, like, official, like, mm-hmm. end of the year? We, is... talked,
2: about this. we talked about this, but when they, when they announced the Oscars were getting postponed, I said, we're not doing that. Yeah. If it gets a limited release in December, you know, maybe we won't have our awards until February. hmm So we can see it. But the movie has to be released in limited release. I'm saying release a lot. Um, by December 31st. hmm In the United States of America
1: if that is a thing that exists on December
2: 31st. There's a good chance after on November 4th we just both disappear from this podcast because we immigrated somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Immigrated. Immigrated.
0: Or imploded. Emigrated.
1: Immolated somewhere. Yeah.
2: Just (laughs) self-immolated. What what prevents you from self-immolating?
1: Not lighting yourself on fire. I'm drinking beers. This one is appropriately uh... Branded Stillwater Artisanal Brewing from We Don't Know Where. I, I think Norway. But it, I also said on untapped it says Brooklyn.
2: Oh it's got lactose in it. Hope you don't have uh, the, the lactose intolerance.
1: I do not. But it was brewed in Stratford, which I'm taking to mean two roads.
2: Yeah, it's two roads has like a they they Yeah lease out stills. <clears throat> not stills, you know what I mean.
1: Mm-hmm. So this is a... It's called wavy. It is a rationally hopped, whatever that means, double India pale ale.
2: It's uh, rotationally hopped. Oh, fuck. <laughs> so be, it actually I, makes sense if you read it that I way. I was really puzzling over why it would be <laughs> rationally hopped. Why are they so snarky on the can? But it's rotationally hopped, which makes uh, a decent amount more sense. Maybe what it was is that I don't know what rotationally hopped <laughs> means, and I was like, that looks like rationally Let's get, hopped. Once again, see bottom for details Oh, it actually has the hop comp. It's got Amarillo, Pac, Bim, and Huel. I don't know what those last two are, but it's got Amarillo hops.
1: But it's called. It's from Stillwater, which people will know why is
2: important later. Oh, I got it. it. Took me a second to get that one. Dink it. Oh, look at that little bubble. Hmm. Oh, that smells boozy.
1: Different Pineapple no, I don't know I'm looking pineapple Oh yeah Something I don't know I don't dislike Candy. it
2: Candy mm. Getting like a candied taste to it I, I like it actually quite a bit Yeah it's, it's unique It's it's not What we've been getting a lot From double IPAs recently It's, it's uh I can't really compare it Compa- can't compare its flavor Mm-mm it tastes like it tastes like those orange candies but like
1: i'm not getting a lot of orange really Mm -hmm. it's
2: got kind of a robitussin finish which sounds like a bad thing but yeah but it's
1: not like medicinal robitussin it's like what's the taste of robitussin without the medicine like that kind of
2: yeah exactly yeah i kind of like that though
1: maybe it's just robitussin (laughs) yeah Maybe we're not tricking people this week, Mario. Really we're just a, pounding. It's, it's really going to
2: be a Lester Bang sort of situation.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Should we just transition right to that? The overdosed so on NyQuil. So, so it was so good. I, try, I almost did that once. Really? It was not a fun day. Oh, jeez. It was in high school. I wanted to get out of having to write a paper. So I just took a whole bunch of NyQuil before I went to school. And then I started freaking out. And, like, my body was shaking and, like, I didn't know what to do. So I skipped all my classes and went to the computer lab and wrote the paper. And then I handed in the paper. I walked into the middle of that class, handed in the paper, and just drove home. Did you get an A? I got a B. Nice. It was nice. And nobody said anything to me. It was different times. I
2: mean, it's really promoting bad habits. Don't ever do that, kids who are listening to this podcast. Also, why are you listening to this podcast? Um... Don't ever you're do that. If a parent whose kids
1: regularly listen to this podcast, you need to have a discussion with somebody, yeah. <laughs> a, th- a therapist or like a counselor or something. Your priest, like you've done some things wrong.
2: Yeah, definitely so. Do you know who might need a priest, Tom? Who? Who Mario? Um, somebody who's had to deal with a devil worshipping cult. Mm. You know, that's a thing. Then the devil worshipping cult. Yeah, that's pretty scary.
1: You might need a priest for that. Yeah.
2: And so, you know, it might need a priest's Cole. Because he's facing that devil worshiping Cole the second time in the babysitter killer queen.
0: Ow! Oh! Yes! oh, shit! Oh, no! It's all gonna get dumb again! Update me on the Psycho Breakfast Club. Basically, they're a blood
2: cult, and they made a deal with the devil. And they only have three hours to
0: complete the ritual. We can hide out till sunrise.
2: We finish this, we have to go back down to limbo. I'm gonna, ya, I'm gonna
0: get you, get ya. i you, love you, Cole. Finally oh, found my dick, Cole!
2: Could this night get any more erotic? Hey
0: Coley. Kill first. That's some post Jordan Peele era horror movie progress.
1: What's going on? It's just taking forever to fade out. Just like
2: that,
1: that's it now. What? Okay, it's over now. We're good. Yeah, you sure? <laughs> it's just a long
2: fade out. I usually use <laughs> their fade outs. <laughs> Something. Two years ago, Cole. This babysitter turned out to be a part of a, a demon devil worshipping cult, it's gonna and be tough. getting some people together to sacrifice a nerd. And they <laughs> wanted to get some of Cole's innocent blood because he's a he's a virgin, um, and because they wanted all skills and talents and you know to get whatever they could from the devil. Well, he vanquished them, and the babysitter, uh, played by Samara Weaving, um, supposedly died, but she she escaped, um, and now. Coles in high school and uh he's, he was a kid at first he's definitely grown more than two years but it's two years later and uh nobody believes him except maybe his his best friend melanie who was kind of there during the time and kind of saw some of the things that happened um but his parents don't believe him he's talking to uh, his nurse his very bolsterous nurse who's a nurse act- who's acting like his school nurse who's oh. acting like a it's like psych- his therapist mm-hmm. which is which is pretty funny There's, cool the best scenes of the movie are um that really um and eventually he uh you know is, is going to be sent off to a psychiatric school to fix himself but melanie invites him out to a party beach thing for the weekend um and he goes and he's having a good time you know, and, and also there's this other new girl who's kind of the, kind of the, the mean, not, not the mean girl, but kind of like the, uh, you know, the questionable, hipster uh, mysterious tough, 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 girl, yeah. the tough girl. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, she also goes to this because she's looking for a mystery to solve mm-hmm. about her parents. Um, and then it turns out that Melanie, uh, the, the love interest of the first film, is also a part of this devil-worshipping cult and once again wants Cole's blood. They kill somebody else. They're tracing around Cole to get his innocent blood so they could get all their wishes. <laughs> A various bunch of shit happens. Um, not worth really describing. Mm-hmm. The same stuff that happened in the first movie. Eventually, Cole and uh, this this tough girl get together, and it turns out that the tough girl and him both have the same babysitter, B, played by Samara Weaving. And it turned out that you know B originally sold her soul to save. This girl, whose name I do not remember, uh, Phoebe, um, Mm. because her parents died in a car crash, and she was supposed to also die, but she sold her soul to the devil so that they could live. So it turns out that B was kind of good all along, and just, whatever, and eventually B comes back, and stuff happens. Um, they, They drink, they eventually get cold, and they drink his blood, but it turns out he banged Phoebe at some point during the night, and then they all melt. And then B also has to drink. B's like, I also have to drink this and then she melts too
1: oh that's too bad
2: ken marino's like oh i saw all of that (laughs) ken marino's his dad's like oh you're not crazy and that's the end of the movie it is like the original movie a fun time it is worth nothing of merit in terms of describing any sort of cinematic treasure but it is not a terrible waste of 101 minutes um or less Mm -hmm. uh some of the jokes don't land at all there's many times for about three or four minutes where you're kind of just sitting there wondering what's going on and why you're there but then when it kind of like gets into a run it gets into a run um Robbie Emile was kind of the standout of the first film mm-hmm. uh, and he continues to be the standout in this one uh the actor who plays Cold Judah Lewis was pretty okay in the first film he's Terrible now, which is interesting. <laughs> but uh, how Gen- long ago was the first one? Two years ago. Okay. Um, but he's like going through this weird teenage phase. He was like, you know, a preteen in the first one. Now I don't know what happened. Yeah. Uh, but luckily, uh, Jenny Ortega, who plays like the new kind of lead, kind of like the tough girl, she's mm-hmm. actually pretty good in the role. Mm-hmm. So she kind of kind of takes over the, the garbage. Um, once again, Samara Weaving is good. You don't get enough Samara Weaving. Well, yeah, there
1: never is, movie. Mario. There never <laughs> is. Never
2: to say my want of more Samara Weaving in <laughs> horror films. Um, but no, this continues to be the best thing that Mick G's done.
1: I was so surprised when you said that he made this movie. I was like, he Mick the, G?
2: He made both of them. Uh, so surprising. And it's it's one of those things, it has a lot more Ken Marino, which makes me happy. Because hmm. there was not, when I first, the thing that actually got me to want to watch the first one... Was the fact that it was a horror movie that was going to have Ken Marino in it? I've always been a Ken Marino guy for some reason. I think it's from Party Down. Was he your favorite of the
1: state? No, I think it's I think it's
2: Party Down. Okay, like him and Adam Scott and Leslie Cap like kind of followed them after Party Down. Um, So you get a lot more of that. Uh, Leslie Bibb has kind of become an okay actress again as she gets older. Uh, But yeah, it's fun. It's it's forgettable. It's it's a good horror comedy. So watch it. In this Halloween season, uh,
1: yeah, I it's mean, it's not it, a waste. It's it's up there, I think, on like the Netflix's top whatever. So I think people are just checking it out. Oh, I'm sure like, there's gonna be for a good good timeness. Oh yeah,
2: I'm sure there's gonna be a third one. I'm sure they're gonna wait until like Samara Weaving has like, you know, some time they can throw like six million dollars her way and be like, can you star in this again?
1: Didn't she melt?
2: Yeah, but they can break. doesn't matter.
1: It was the first one in Netflix movie too. Yeah, both have been. Oh, okay, so they're so.
2: definitely gonna make a third one.
1: What is happening?
2: Oh, well, that's, that's your demon-worshipping cult oh, right there. Fuck it. All right.
1: Take it out. I was just trying to charge my fucking phone, and it didn't want to be charged. Um, yeah. I, I kind of wanted to see it, but I just have no, I have no time to watch something like that in my house. When I do have time to watch something like that in my house, I have to watch something like our next movie. Mm-hmm. which also much less fun <laughs> which is, I suppose much less fun but uh, you, you only get one I suppose a week with a family where there's like everyone is away enough to watch something where a dog gets crucified we are t- talking of course of uh, Antonio Campos new film The Devil All the Time
0: excuse me preacher you got time for a sinner you know I studied something it's called the delusion a believe that is untrue. It is our delusions that lead us to sin. Delusions! Some people were born just so they could be buried. What I'm about to do... I do because I have to, not because I want to,
1: so this movie uh this movie came out on netflix uh last week yeah september eleventh september eleventh um
2: Wednesday, A weird Wednesday. Release. And this
1: was a Netflix movie. What is a Wednesday release? This this Anola Holmes is a Wednesday release this week too. Just I just like know. Wednesday. Maybe because they have so many movies that are just
2: yeah, they you just know. get by. I just like we're going to release...
1: They know something. Their their algorithm whatever has proven that like if they release something on a Wednesday it gets a bunch of traction like on Wednesday, Thursday and people watch it on Friday and then it like shoots up and I don't fucking know, but I'm sure they know something we don't about people's watching habits. They have to. Um What was I talking about? Oh, let talking about Bill Sarsgård. Uh, he plays Russell. He's just gotten home from...
2: Uh, Willard Russell.
1: Willard... I don't even want to start again. I don't even fucking care. He plays <laughs> Willard Russell. He's just gotten home from uh, World War Two. II. Um, and he goes into a diner and he sees a girl. And uh, that diner is in, is in Mead... Or is that diner in Knockhamstiff? No, it's in Meade, Ohio. That guy that is in Mead, Ohio, and he lives in Stiff, uh, West Virginia, or is it Stiff, Ohio, in Mead, West Virginia? No, no, he
2: lives in Coal Creek. <sighs> oh, this movie. So <laughs> he like, lives in Coal Creek, West Virginia, right? But they move to Stiff, Ohio. Here's the thing: we just kind of talked. Like, He's going to Coal Creek, right? Now I get it. Yeah. He's and I knew it when I this watched is, it. This and is going to be my issue. This is going to be my issue. Really
1: way. quick. One of the things that I, well, we were just kind of talking about it, like, about things that, you know, you told me, like, really cursorily what you th- thought about it. And I don't, um, while I kind of, like, disagree with it, I don't, like, fully disagree with it. There's stuff in this movie, and what, a lot of the reviews are talking about the fact that it's too um, faithful to the novel. And this is an area where I feel like this movie probably didn't need to exist in the manner in which it exists. All these towns are, look exactly the fucking same. Mead looks bigger, but like you don't really Stiff get to see very much. Holt
2: Creek look exactly the who same.
0: Who
1: gives a
2: shit? Like I think I We're know they're ten they, hours away from each other,
1: but who cares? Who fucking cares? if it was everyone finds everybody in the exact moment that they need to be found, so it doesn't matter if they're ten hours away or two minutes one away. One town
2: has Sebastian Stan getting a hand job and throwing the cup on the ground, and one town doesn't have that. Crucified,
1: get, a, get it all in the crucified cup?
2: crucified dog town. Cum cup. <laughs> Knock up stiff and pump cup. That was
1: one of my favorite lines of the movie. Did you get it all in there? And she's just like, uh, yeah.
2: I mean, yeah. Great. It's, it's all right, continuing. It's a hard film that the plot describes. It is a hard just, film. And I was just gonna going to kind of set on. it up.
1: That sets up a... a That, that girl um, dies. That girl turns into his wife. They have a son named Arvin. Um, she eventually dies. And Willard goes crazy trying to get God to save her from whatever. Uh, th- from, from the, the cancer. cancer that's yeah. got her. Um, it, it doesn't fucking work. And he goes into the woods where he's created this, you know, he was... he was Prayer log. Yeah, like this little chapel that he just kind of stumbles upon. He's like, oh, I've started praying again. He writes to his mother on a postcard and blah, blah, blah. Um, from there, we get a, we, we a, a, a ten-year span of... Where Arvin goes to live with that mother and his uncle who have adopted this girl who was the daughter of um, uh,
2: a, pastor, a pastor,
1: but who is like, has like weird thoughts on religion. He lets a, like spiders rain down on him. He gets and,
2: bit by a spider and goes insane uh, because of it. Mia would shout, I
1: forget how, how to pronounce her last name.
2: Waskakowski. Waskakowsky.
1: Kowska. She's Alice in Wonderland. Alice Wonderland. Exactly. Um <laughs> that's how I'm always gonna know her forever is Alice in Wonderland. Um He gets bitten by a spider and he has these hallucinations and he ends up thinking like he knows what God wants, and what God wants is for him to stab his wife in the neck with a screwdriver and then to resurrect her. And his meanwhile his brother, who is uh, a a a is crippled, it's just like, you, yeah. you, you, sounds like you stabbed your wife in the neck. And, you know, it sounds crazy to me. And he gets in a car later. This guy, uh, Roy, Pastor Roy, he gets in a car. He's going to hitchhike home. He's going to get his daughter. You know what I mean? I have no idea what happened to his his brother. Who knows what happened to him? He's just gone off the face of the movie. Um, Somewhere between Mead and Knock'em Stiff, he's just evaporated into thin air. Maybe he got resurrected. Maybe <laughs> Maybe he, she is inside of him, and he was like, fuck this, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm not going back to that sideshow. Um, okay, you know, running played away nice, from
2: Neville Longbottom.
1: He played a nice guitar. No, that was not Neville Longbottom. That was uh, Cousin Dudley. That was oh, Dudley. Oh, right. yeah. Is it? Yeah, he was, remember, he was like That's the not... best part of that Cohen Brothers movie. He was the guy with no arms and oh, legs. He's
2: Dudley. What? He's. For all this time, I've been thinking Harry Melling's been Neville no, Longbomb. No, no, no. Harry Melling is the. Oh, right, because Neville Longbomb's, like, hot now. Yeah.
1: That's Neville. Not to say that he's, Harry Melling's unattractive. Doesn't matter. He gets it a call. But have you seen Neville Longbomb? Like, fucking. Yeah, he's, he's very kind of. he yeah, Lewis. Him and Dean Thomas. Whoever that guy plays Dean Thomas in the movie are both, like, jacked. Um, doesn't matter.
2: Why am I thinking of. I'm thinking of uh, Thomas from the stand miniseries for some reason.
1: Oh, I don't know. The old one?
2: Yeah.
1: No, no, he's not in Harry Potter.
2: Also from uh...
1: from Harry Potter. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's keep going because I want to introduce all the major characters here. He gets in a car with two two people. One of them is played by the uh, Carl and Sandy. Carl and Sandy. One of them is played by Jason Clark, who he's is not cool. my my favorite, and um Riley Keough
2: who when the movie starts is very young and Tom is doing this without notes guys that's why we're
1: doing it without notes and uh yeah and there's things about this movie that stood out and like the plot is is uh, not uh, one of them um, they apparently we meet them also in the di- in the same diner where Willard meets his his wife to be they meet each other as well she's a waitress in that same diner and he takes pictures if he's got a pretty enough face to 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 photograph apparently the pictures he takes Mario are of women having sex with men and as he tortures them to death. That's what he does. I don't know if he makes a living off of doing this. I don't know if there's an underground economy responsible for keeping him, like, in in film and gas and hotels or really, whatever. Andy,
2: it's probably Andy Warhol. He probably <laughs> sends all the stuff to the Maybe, party.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, like the, that's the sequel to this. Um... That's what's in all of Andy Warhol's boxes that are that museum in Pittsburgh bought. Um, his boxes of junk, um, and that's where this first part of the movie ends. Mario, is that you? You get introduced to those three parties, and then oh, and Sebastian Stan is a cop who got the, the got the hand job in the car that they come got cup. all in the cup, come, come cup, Sebastian, come cup, Stan, um, <laughs> in the winter, come cup. Um, then the movie skips ahead ten years. And we are introduced to Eliza Scanlon, who is playing that girl that was adopted by Arvin. Thank you for coming up with all of these names because my phone is not like doing it. <laughs> it's too much scrolling and this cast is too fucking long. Um, she plays the girl. Uh, Tom Holland plays Arvin. Um, they, he is, you know, without without faith he also has a very short temper he's he's held on to some of the the, some of the things that he's learned from his father about like dealing with bullies and like not letting people push you around so when like the local douchebags pushes um his sister around he eventually takes a paper bag and a fucking hammer and destroys them everyone's okay with it it's just how it gets done
0: you, uh, were maybe, okay. you were they're
1: maybe okay a little his,
2: too hard with it. They're okay they're, with how his dad just, like, beat the shit out of those two guys. So. Right, exactly. Was, that's how he did things in the 50s and 60s. It's just how it got done. Um, eventually,
1: a, a pastor moves into the town. Mario, the, the, gonna take a, the pastor that lives in that town is going to take a vacation. And the new pastor is going to come in. And that pastor is played amazingly by Robert Pattinson, who is doing something. Um, he gives that great. One of my favorite parts of the movie is that great speech he gives about like he's gonna eat the shitty food, so like the rest of his pastors can, or the rest of his parishioners can eat the good food. And he singles out the, the, the Arvin's grandmother's yeah. chicken livers. He's like, "Who brought this, this shitty plate and this crap food? I'll eat this, so you don't have to eat it." Um,
2: I've never been so embarrassed. Oh my god, it's so great. I love the grandmother. Um,
1: she was pretty good. Yeah. We'll get to, we'll get to all that stuff.
2: Kristen Griffin.
1: Things happen here, where uh, Robert Pattinson, the pastor, takes advantage of, of of Nora and her her willingness to be a good Christian. Uh, meanwhile, I forgot to mention. Meanwhile, the whole thing is narrated by the author of the book. He's a good narrator. It was an awesome narrator. We'll get to that too. Um, Arvin ends up meeting. All of the characters all of the major players here that kind of that were that were disparate characters in the beginning of the movie you know he 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 stumbles upon um Clark and what was riley keel's character's name again sandy sandy he stumbles upon them uh he gets reintroduced to Sebastian Stan um who originally like picked it you know went to see the the scene of of his father's suicide and thought that he had blood all over his face when it was pie and and all this other stuff um' like a good pie. It did look like a good pie. It also looked gross. It looked like it was full of blood, which I think was supposed to be appropriate. It looked
2: like a boysenberry pie to me. Nah, it looked
1: like a blood pie. Which is fine. It's fine. I want to eat it. I don't know what that says about you. Arvin has to exact justice on any number of people for any number of things that kind of arise instantaneously. And he does so. And he gets away and... uh, He's gonna to have to just live with the consequences of all the things that he did, and he will kills, he kills a shit ton of people. Kills a bunch of people.
2: Spider Man's going crazy.
1: Um, but yeah, with a German Luger that has that's just been hanging around in a box for eleven years. Whatever, it's fine. It's fine. I'm sure he cleaned it.
2: I think it was a the Lex variety.
1: I don't know. Um, I don't know what that means. So couldn't say a uh, Lex Luger. <laughs> um,
2: just like, and podcast over.
1: I... Yeah. At the, the narcissist Lex Luger, I'm out. Um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of ins and outs here. You know what I mean? There's, like, there's rabbit holes that they go down, which are just like, oh, I didn't need them to go down that. I didn't need more of this character. I actually could have dispensed with this character entirely, and I would have been totally fine with uh, you know, what was happening. Carl and Sandy. Carl and Sandy. I dug... I kind of dug the movie. It wasn't like my favorite movie ever. It's slow. But it kinda of held my attention. I thought all the actors were working their fucking asses off.
2: Except for Jason I'm not Clark.
1: sure for except for Jason Clark, who again, as I articulated to you the last time we spoke, I'm pretty sure this is what Jason Clark's life is actually like.
2: See, and my head He is
1: I don't even know. He just does a lot of smiling and chewing on that cigar. It looks he looks like he's fucking hammered. But like and maybe that's amazing acting.
2: But he also just looks really drunk. See, I, I don't have the hatred for Jason Clark you do, but uh in a film with with really solid performances all around, he is a sore thumb.
1: It's weird. He's weird, and this movie is fucking weird. But it's he is particularly weird. The the degradation of Riley Keogh's character of Sandy is is also really weird, and that they seem to she's like the one person in the film that seems to get no, like redemption from anywhere. Or a chance even at at all. She just like sinks lower and lower and deeper and deeper. And she's the one that has to like be underneath all these guys that Jason Clark like ends up killing and taking pictures of. And you just wonder what was in it
2: for her ever. Isn't that kind of Riley Keel's like M.A. M.I. M.O. M.O. Jesus.
1: Modus operandi.
2: I I have no idea. Like remember Hold the Dark? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was just her getting shit on for two hours. Yeah, hold the dark. Actually that makes that move, those these two
1: movies would be an interesting double feature. Mm, they wouldn't would, they? Would, they would. You get a you get a SARS Garden there, you know what I mean, yeah. which is always a good thing, you get Riley Keo. Um, you get a lot of wilderness shots, Jeffrey
2: Wright and Tom Holland.
1: Same, same. No. He might show up in a Spider-Man movie, you never know.
2: Um, James Badge was in Iron Man. Sebastian Stan was
1: is James badgedale esque yeah. Um. Yeah. It's weird. I dug it. I I didn't like that part of the movie. Not because it was hor- hard to watch or like gross or anything. It just seemed um extraneous. Like it just didn't really need to be there. I feel like they could have wrote around that stuff and dug in like psychologically with those people. But I suppose like the whole idea of the movie is not to get too psychological. Uh, the idea I suppose is that none of these people are getting overly psychological about anything. It's all just like instinctual. Um, and it was. I mean, it was for a movie that's a bad time. I kind of had a good time watching it, if if that means anything, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I think
2: I-, I dislike this movie uh, pretty tremendously in the sense that I feel it's it's incredibly disjointed. I think it probably tries to hue too close to. I haven't read the novel yet. It's downstairs, mm-hmm. um, but I think it tries to hue too close to the the essence of what the novel probably does. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it feels that way. Uh, I think parts of it work really well Lil crowley's doing the understated cinematography again the music is hits the beats it's pretty to it hit um most of the performances are really solid but they're inconsistent in the sense of i feel as though there there are certain sequences that aren't working at the same level mm. that other ones are um anything with sebastian stan or oh. riley keel and jason clark is not hitting the same highs that you know sarsgaard or Pattinson, are or henry milling mm. or harry milling are yeah um like the only time jason clark looks good in this movie is when he's like confused as fuck about roy just like wanting to die yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know um and harry milling's like he's he's coming out hard like yeah as a good actor well, he was um, my favorite part of that coen brothers movie he didn't even say anything yeah uh and so there, there's a lot of strong performances in it um in so much that you there's, there's performances you want to see more of you want to see more of Pattinson. and i wanted to see more of scars guard mm-hmm. um i wanted to see a lot more uh, of Haley bennett i thought like she doesn't oh, get hazarding. anything yeah. sorry Haley bennett she doesn't yeah. get anything to do um but like the what she does is so understated um, well, and, and it, which is probably the point of the character and like, it makes the character sense. Is supposed to be just this idea right for, you know for both willard and later arvin um but the problem is, just like I said, there, there are points where it's suddenly, the film suddenly has to be at one point and then shift seven years earlier mm-hmm. for no real reason besides possibly, I think, maybe the novel goes that way, but it doesn't work from a narrative cohesion standpoint to where you kind of just start losing track of the emotional affect you want in each particular kind of and sequence. And I, I
1: think that makes it hard to catch um, the what the exact nature of the tone of this movie is supposed to be also because it has that really snarky narrator going on in the background that's kind of judging these people as they're, they're doing stuff. Um, but then it just gets really heavy and like, you know, like with religious stuff. Mm-hmm. But then it turns into like an action movie kind of at the end of the movie and you're just like, well, what like what is this movie and then and then all of a sudden Jason Clark will just show up chewing on a cigar and like smiling grossly and drunkenly with fiddling with he's like always fiddling with the camera um and you're just kind of uh, 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 so that criticism is sound in the sense that I also had the same feeling like what is this movie trying to be and I think I just kind of hung on with the performances and every new iteration of the film and that's kind of I think to your disjointed point the um the film doesn't feel like it's one continuous movie. It feels like it's actually kind of like three different movies kind of stapled together, yeah, or exactly. or like a, a three-part miniseries or something that would be on Netflix. It feels like it would have yeah. stood better as a miniseries. Um, and so they're just they're they're jammed together, and you're just kind of like, oh, okay, now this is like. It almost feels like Tony it needs to be this. a
2: true detective season,
1: mm. which I think would have been a good true detective season because I think one of the interesting things about this I think the message of this movie, which is if you read the reviews of this movie, is hilarious to like. Not that everyone is wrong, but the the way that everyone seems to have like a different opinion of like how to interpret like this film's religious themes. I thought for sure I don't know I'm interested to know what you feel. I thought for sure the narrator was God, and he was the judgment was like all of these people trying to reach out to God in all these different ways. And that's another thing I didn't like about the Jason Clark part is that he's the only character that we see not do anything in relation to what the, the narrator says he's thinking. So he's just, he's putting something on the Jason Clark character. That's not in the movie. That's not that Jason Clark is not showing that like, Oh, this is how he felt. He was closest to God was when this was happening. I was like, where is that? Where did he ever say anything about being close to God ever ever but everyone else is really trying to reach out and everyone is fucking up all the time except maybe for Arvin who's just like dispensing justice as need be and like that's what God is for also like I'll smite whoever I need to whenever I need to do it but like I'm not gonna until then real George Burns now (laughs) Uh, it's too bad George Burns kind of narrated this movie That
2: would have been great um I don't know. I I I was so detached from the events of this film that I didn't really pay attention mm. to. Like, I didn't really even come close to like wanting to interpret a theme in this film. Mm. Like, it, it just felt so. It felt so face forward in terms of like the themes it was trying to do. Mm-hmm. A lot of times that I was just like, I don't. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't at all hook me. And I thought that- it didn't make me like want to dig deeper into it because it, for one thing, it didn't feel necessarily.
1: It doesn't feel particularly deep,
2: no. And not just particularly deep. It doesn't feel like it's doing anything to warrant that in the sense of it's not as artfully crafted that it could do that. You know what I'm saying? No. There's nothing in this that's not as is presented. And so it doesn't feel as though there's any necessary need to kind of like get next to it.
1: No, and I, sp- I suppose that's true, but I-, I think the thing that kept like me digging and watching was that I kind of wanted to. I was exp- I was invested in the performances, so I was trying to tr- kind of trying to reason
2: out what they meant. You're wondering if somebody picked up that cum cup and drank it.
1: I just assumed that in that town, someone was like, "No oh, cum cup." Looked around.
2: Protein, got it. This is here every week. It's a miracle. My favorite part of that movie now is just the just term "cum Just Keep
1: getting getting filled up, um, but yeah. So I just kept wanting to. Exp- I kept thinking about like why Pattinson was doing patents and things. I kept thinking about Tom Holland was pretty good. I thought he was pretty I think he's, okay. I think he's okay. He does a good. Uh, he does confused, but like determined, determined confusion really well. Um, and I just was. I was interested in what that emotion was about. So like that I'm I, was, not, I don't like Eliza I'm not in love with Eliza Scanlon I think that's a yeah I think that's a kind of people are going to do that for a while I know I know she's got a new another movie that came out this year that she was a star of a Baby Teeth is it
2: maybe I, I think I'm not sure I didn't see it I, there was um, a lot of criticism of, of Skarsgård's performance in this and I thought he was. Fairly consistent and solid in this.
1: Well, I thought he was a compelling. Yeah, I think his accent gets thicker as the movie goes, oh, as sure. his part
2: goes on. Well, he's he's just there for longer. Maybe I don't know. That's how it works, right? What? He's from he's from West Virginia. Now he's in Ohio, and that's an Ohio accent. I just I it was, uh, but I, I really liked actually it. did not notice. It. But I
1: when so what when he was yelling at him, to, maybe it was because he was crying and his voice was thick with tears. I don't know, I don't know, but it was like the one thing about it, I was like, whoa, his accent is getting worse. Like as this as this part lingers here, he is just digging into. the, oh, No, you say it, you gotta believe it, and as no, eventually oh, he Jesus.
2: Eventually
0: just goes. <laughs>
2: That's, that's my Swedish. <laughs> yeah. This would have been a good Swedish movie.
1: Bergman would have knocked this this subject matter out if of it the park. If it
2: had Clark. been Danish, you could just get, you know, Vindaman and uh, Mads Mikkelsen in it. Oh.
1: Mads Mikkelsen should have been in it. You gotta find someplace for Mads Mikkelsen. Do him instead of Robert Pattinson.
2: Just do him instead of Jason Clarke. And, and then just the... follow.
1: No, because then Nora would have been like, yeah, I'll have your baby. It's fine. It's fine, Mans Stevenson.
2: Whatever you want me to do. <laughs> um, and eventually it's just about him just taking over both towns. <laughs> Arwen's like, this is a good guy. I like that. <laughs> I don't know. Something about him. He makes a really good beef bolognese.
1: So tender. Also, it's what happened so to the
2: sheriff? He just like disappeared.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Well, that was I mean, let's end this. But I the, the this Sebastian Stan, Jason Clark, Riley Keough, like, thing was so oddly, uh, so oddly managed. Like, like I said, Jason Clark looked hammered. Riley Keough looked like she had just spent ten years having sex with guys that are dead. And Sebastian Stan looks like he literally ate fried chicken. Every like he made was he. It wouldn't surprise me to find out that he made like super size me two and was like I ate fried chicken for eight months, straight. He was bulking. He couldn't
2: for... even breathe through his nose. He was, he was bulking breathing. for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Oh my
1: god! He was—he was, he was like—he was like sitting at his desk, like writing notes and stuff. I was like, this guy's gonna die. He's got heart disease. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, that was—it was so weird. That was like, so weird. Like these three characters, like, are expressed so viscerally, but also like so strangely, and they seem so unnecessary to the movie, except for all of the ways that, like, it piles on at the end. Yeah, they're kinda
2: of like there to like be wrapped around, kind of like that uh the pole. Yeah. Snake yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in the medical field thing. But you yeah. don't know why. Yeah. But like and what's funny is none of those guys really have like an emotional affect that like hooks close to God. Like everyone else does, but those guys are just kinda of like there.
1: Maybe power. You know what I mean? Maybe for him it's like power. Um the but, Kanye West song? Yeah. I thought it was funny though, that he was just like he was so angry at his sister, and his sister's costing him so much in terms of like his election. I love like he just says like I got an election coming up. That's like, like punctuates every sentence. Um, but when he finds out that she's dead, he's like, "I'm gonna have to go hunt this guy down in a different state. I'm gonna have to do it." You no, know, or you no, know, I guess that's his state, and he drove in, and Arvin came into. His, doesn't matter. Um, so yeah. The devil all, all the time, it's okay. You didn't like it, ah, it's okay. You know, you could do worse. Also,
2: too much CGI blood. Get rid of the CGI blood.
1: Oh, you didn't like the, whole, the huge black, like hole punch that they made in Alice in Wonderland's neck. Yeah, it just like it just pumped out of her.
2: I like when you they shoot the uh, skinned war. Yeah, guy. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm guessing it's supposed to be skinned, and it's from far away, and you can just see like that really red. Splatter—that's yeah. clearly just like somebody in post effects going like.
1: Well, we've all yeah, with with paint. It's like it's just from that far away, you could just
2: literally have a thing behind that person. With squid, that just sprays it.
1: Well, and I would say like we've all seen seven before, also, like having a guy that's like everyone thinks is dead, all of a sudden go. This is not like super scary. The crucified dog though, got me a little bit. The CGI spiders did not get me. The CGI spider are not getting me, because it came out of, came out of that jar like goo. <laughs> oh. It was like a goo with spiders in it. Um, Alright, that's the end of this. We'll be right back with Somebody's Number 17, because we did not discuss it beforehand.
2: Well, me and Tom, Tom and I, grammar. It's hard to tell anymore. Had a had a real big fist fight in during the break, um, bloodied up, mm-hmm. scarred, and uh, Tom won. He broke both of my arms, <laughs> and so I have to deliver my number seventeen first this week.
1: Without arms? No, they're fixed. Oh right, yeah.
2: We got the CGI people from that movie, Tag, to fix <laughs> my arms.
1: So it's all fine. Um, oh man, Tag. That's a thing. I know. Like,
2: Jay Ritter has arms broken.
1: Of course he of course Jimmy remember has the arms broken. He's probably got his arms broken right now.
2: <laughs> um Rhea talked uh, some weeks ago, some probably a year ago now, or a year and a half ago when I was in our fifties, uh, about you know how there's gonna be two directors who started popping up all over the place on my lists. And those directors were the Cohen Brothers and Alfred Hitchcock. And we come now to the second to last Alfred Hitchcock film that will show up on my list.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: this is one of my early presentations of Alfred Hitchcock. It's it's I I you know I I'm kind of running through the gamut of Alfred Hitchcock, and uh, this was my mom's <clears throat> favorite Hitchcock film mm, okay. for the longest time. And I kind of held off on it because I had these preconceived notions that it was going to be too hazy like too much of it in that haze code style of film you know what haze I'm saying? code like like in that style of film where where it just it feels so stilted and controlled and pulled back yeah because of, of the requirements and mm-hmm. everything um and then i was you know i was dreading the transatlantic accents and just all the other nonsense and then finally when i I sat down to it, I watched it, and for the first hour, I was just, Ugh, don't dig that first hour. And it's exactly what I feared. But then, the new wife comes down from the staircase, and Lawrence Libby looks at her with like a big fucking disgust, and everything turns around. And this becomes, for me, the best of the horror esque. Um, Alfred Hitchcock films, Mm -hmm. and that is the 1940... Sorry, the 2020 Ben Wheatley remake of Rebecca.
0: Announcing the return of the most glamorous motion picture ever made, David O. Selznick and Alfred Hitchcock bring you the Grand Slam Prize winner that made motion picture history. Winner of the Academy Award, voted by America's critics as the best picture of the year. And now as a result of a national poll winning new honors as audiences throughout the country vote to see it again. The Selznick studio's successor to Gone with the Wind, Rebecca, brought to the screen with all the warmth and emotion that made millions of readers acclaim Daphne du Maurier's bestseller as the most exciting love story of our time. The fascinating Max de Winter lives on the screen in the person of Laurence Olivier. Why, it's Max de Winter. How do you do? The shy, unsophisticated young girl who dared to follow in the footsteps of the beautiful Rebecca is portrayed by lovely Joan Fontaine.
2: That guy sounds real. The narrator of that sounds really nervous. He's like, played by the lovely like Joan <laughs> Fontaine! Oh, help me! Please help me! Um, That Joan Fontaine plays the second Mrs. De Winter. Uh, she meets Maxim at a... A little event on the French Riviera, where mm-hmm. she's um, kind of like the not caretaker, but kind she's of like, like this, the companion, the paid friend yeah. of another woman, and uh, eventually very Henry
1: f- Jamesian.
2: Yeah, they fall in love, and she becomes the second Mrs. De Winter, and they go back to Manderley a grand mansion on the coast in England. Grand mansion, mm-hmm. coast of England, <laughs> very Jane Eyre um, or Withering Heights-esque. Jane Eyre. Jane eyre Very Jane Eyre-esque. Um, and Napa's house is the domineering Mrs. Danvers. She's a real stick in the mud and a real fucking dick. <laughs> she was really close to the first... I hated Danvers, yeah. She's a r- real close friend and confidant to the first wife, Rebecca. Mm-hmm. The titular Rebecca. And she's she's obsessed with her. She's, she seems to think as though... Rebecca should still be around, and Rebecca was everything good and perfect and pure, and Joan Fontaine is a real dick for just popping it up and going, Hi there, it's me, the second Mrs. Danvers.
1: I'm very nice. Why are you being so shitty to me? Uh,
0: You know, um,
2: so, so seeing this, the second Mrs. Danvers, seeing Rebecca kind of everywhere and Maxim's kind of coldness, she kind of... Starts feeling as though, you know, Maxim's still holding the flame for the deceased Rebecca who was lost at sea and a body found a year earlier or so. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, trying to win over Maxim, she she wears, like, the dress that Rebecca wore. And Maxim's like, what the fuck is that? Put on anything! Not that! You crazy son of a bitch! And then... The second Mrs. Danvers. Can you imagine
1: that coming out of Lawrence Livy's
2: <laughs> mouth? What the fuck? <laughs> it's gonna, we're gonna, we'll get it from Army Hammer. Um, <laughs> oh, good. And, and you know, Joan moves... I just going to say Joan, not the second... Uh, just runs upstairs. What's her name? It's just, it's just the second Mrs. Danvers, if I remember. There's no name. I don't think she has... Yeah, some. the second Mrs. DeWinter. Yeah. Or Mrs. DeWinter, yeah. yeah. She runs upstairs, Here. and she's she's really sad, and, you know miss danvers is there and opens up a window to give her some air and says come and get some air and then you get one of the best scenes for me in all of film where she's like you don't you know really have a place here you know you don't really have a place in you don't really have much much here Mm. you don't really have much in life and just tells her to jump yeah to jump did not see that coming great great fucking scene um Eventually, they discover a shipwreck and a body, and the body is Rebecca. And it turns out that, uh, you know, the second Mrs. De Winter starts thinking, like, oh, you know, Maxim doesn't love her. And Maxim's like, no, I hated Rebecca. Mm-hmm. She was a psychopath, a domineering, controlling monster who's just like, I'll put up airs, but I'm going to fuck everybody. And fuck you, Laurence Olivier. Go drill some teeth, motherfucker. <laughs> That's exactly what she says. It's a deleted scene, um, <laughs> uh, you know. And then she's, you know, Joan Fontaine is is kind of taken aback by that. And uh, but then eventually, it, it kind of becomes out that, um, you know, that that uh, she she fell and struck her head during an argument and whatnot. And he buried the body uh, to get rid of it. But then all of a sudden, you know, there's this possibility. You know, Rebecca's lover says that, that, you know, there's there's a possibility that she was not suicidal. You that mean maybe. her cousin? Yeah. Um, you know, and so, so the police start suspecting him of murder because they think she was pregnant, you know, and that he killed her because she was pregnant and eventually you find out that uh, she wasn't pregnant but she had cancer and was just trying to goad him into killing her so that he could ruin her. And they find that out and he's clear and He's off and happy, and then he sees Mandalay on fire, and he's scared because he thinks Joan Fontaine is dead. Probably Olivia the Havilland would have been happy with that. Um, <laughs> and it turns out that Mrs. Danvers, you know, in a fleet of anger, has burned down Manderley because she doesn't, it, you know... was well, part of the Rebecca's plan, right? Gonna be, yeah, yeah. Rebecca's not going to be there. Nobody's going to be happy. But they escape. They're going to be fine. Rethink. I think... He's probably... Maxon's got some other money elsewhere, I'm sure.
1: Well, yeah. Um, I can't imagine his whole fortune is tied up
2: in the house. Maybe. Sometimes that happens. That would be also very Jamesian. Yeah. And then uh, some balls fall on Mrs. Danvers. She's dead. And then we zoom in through the fire. The R, the Rebecca, the monogram, and the preserved room. Mm -hmm. as Things fade out in the end. Um... As I said, what I what, the thing that that comp, that that I am so attached to with this film, is just that turn on the heel from a very bland sort of romance mystery of that would feel in tune with the time period, mm-hmm. you know, from from you know Maxim's kind of off puttishness You know, earlier on, we talked about Withering Heights. You know, another... We did, yeah. Another Olivier. Um, and that kind of has... Even though it has that same sort of tone to it, mm-hmm. um, it, it kind of carries that classical mystery to it. Or um, the the Jane Eyre... Uh, it's not Orson Welles that did Jane Eyre.
1: Um, you have the control center. Yeah.
2: <clears throat> Who was that? Colin Clive and Virginia Bruce, Jane oh, Eyre. Was yeah. um, that really directed? No, Christy Cab. Cab- I was like, does that make Mick woman? G. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Um, but you know, like these, these, there's a certain coldness to those films. They kind of just run the gamut hmm. of the story. Um, even the turns have this this real high dramatic flourish to them. There's not a lot of inherent voice. In the telling of those hmm. of those stories, okay. um, you know, even though I love Wuthering Heights*, it's not—it's still more of kind of a clean representation of the novel. Mm. Whereas this has those flourishes, especially at that turn, um, and as, immediately following the turn, um, mm-hmm. you know, you do get that dramatic flair when Maxim says, "Like put on anything," just not that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when you get Mrs. Dan, that scene with Mrs. Danvers, played you know masterfully by Judith. Anderson where she's just telling her to jump and the camera's close in on the faces mm-hmm. you know you get that flourish and that, that feel you know of, of Hitchcock mm-hmm. of dwelling really close in the psychology there of just like what that means and you know it's a real turn for Danvers who's been a real dick this entire time but she goes from that to just being a monster to being pure evil Well, you point. get you
1: get to you start questioning her um motivation it before it seemed like just sadness yeah and now it seems like at that moment it seems like something else yeah
2: Yeah. um and then from there as as things kind of spiral it, it gets that that tone and it captures that voice that hitchcock would do even down to the scene where they're talking to the doctor feels very well lifted from the ending of psycho Um, it, it, she has kind of like that same sort of like dialogue of like, what do you mean doctor? Get to it. You know, it has that like, didn't she, wasn't she pregnant? Yeah. And the doctor's just like describing things and you know, just kind of doing an exposition (laughs) machine. The doctor was just not saying she had cancer
1: for like 10 minutes before saying like, oh yeah, she had cancer. Yeah. And everyone's like,
2: what? Why didn't you just say that? Well, I mean, I wanted to say about how pretty she was. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's important.
1: She used the name
2: Denver's. No. What? Yeah. Okay. Good. But the thing I like about this is it, it. It. I love the films of this time that do like Jane Eyre, Wuthering Heights, and this kind of all fall in that same veil for me. Mm. Um, and, and and to a lesser extent like Rules of the Game. The well, Rules of the Game is a superior movie to all three of these. Uh, it's just it's not on my list because it didn't make an impact on me. But if we're talking about like, greatest films of all time, Rules yeah. of the Game is high up there mm-hmm. um but that that kind of tone of of in a house locked in a place kind of dramas with a deep undercurrents of, of psychological misfortune um the thing about this though and the thing that makes this kind of like the premier example for me uh, for a genre i really love for a genre i was introduced to early by my mother mm-hmm. that kind of huge close to my founding of, of classical film mm-hmm. um is the fact that this movie has so much voice there's mm-hmm. so much of hitchcock's personality in it um it's it's maybe not you know it, it, like, like early. steps yeah and like you know this is how early is i mean this he has you know 39 steps and lady vanishes are his big ones mm-hmm. before this um i don't really call black male that huge but thirty nine like thirty nine steps I enjoy uh, lady vanishes I'm mm-hmm. not big on but like thirty nine steps is great um but this is the one where it seems like he's starting to find that personality mm-hmm. he's finding that kind of tone, but it's still locked in closely to to the genre mm. and so it's this kind of perfect meld of of a of a genre that is that is strong and is kind of gone now mm-hmm. um mixed with somebody who has such a resolute control of how they're... I can going. see
1: us in, the, in your skylight oh, okay. of the studio, and it looks cool.
2: At 130 floors up, that's what it looks like. Yeah. Um, has such a resolute control of what he wants to do and how he wants to do yeah. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so my question, how old were you when you first saw this? Uh, younger, like, I mean, not super young, but maybe like 14.
1: So before you kind of started having your ass kicked... Like with personal stuff, Mm. Um, yeah, this is a a real intellectual
2: admiration of this film. But
1: it also kind of sounds like, um, from like how young you were and stuff like that. That like, so I have a couple movies like this in my list too, and they're not Hitchcock movies. They're not Rebecca. They're like old Disney shit, like Pollyanna, or like um, Hello Dolly remember those movies or like the parent the original
2: so Haley mills movies i didn't see either of those movies i did see parent trip.
1: so those were movies that like my mom really liked which i watched like a whole bunch of times because my mom for some reason like watched them all the time and we're talking vhs like owned the vhs i think some of the i think pollyanna was a clamshell um
2: Almost positive, it's a and show. so
1: I had I had those. I have like a frame of reference for something that you come to. Parent Trap might have been a clamshell too. It might have been, but Parent Trap is also awesome. Like Haley, the teenager Haley Mills, fucking kills it all the time. um, but and I almost put one of those on at like a hundred. I was really, really, really close because, as we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks here not we're talking about maybe i'll mention it this week it's gonna become hard in two weeks like settle in for a weird episode in two weeks like a penis yeah (laughs) where i tend to get a lot of i get i tend to get a lot of stuff that's influential from me or to me from my dad our interests just align that way but i did get my mom did introduce me to a whole bunch of culture stuff that is, did not stick with me as uh, foundational for how I would look at culture going forward, but it's kind of imprinted in my brain. So when my, when, when Hello Dolly was released, like re released as like a Fathom event in theaters, I like made my daughter go with my mom because I, and when she was just like, it was okay, I was just like, it was okay. <sighs> They got Barbara Streisand at her height and Michael Crawford. Michael fucking Crawford. Like, what are you talking about? Okay. And she was like, it's just too... out at the Opera, Michael Crawford? He's in yeah. There. He's, you know, young, skinny Michael Crawford dancing all over the place. Is he fat now? No, he's just old. Oh, okay. But he was young and, like, looked he said, like he was 15 he said feet skinny, tall. So I was like, but he was, yeah. like, looks really, really skinny in that. Okay. And there's, like, things about all of those movies that aesthetically, I think, still seem like um, oh, I don't really want to make this political. That seemed like... That strike me as like a American ideals. And I was young enough to be... Americana. Just Americana. Americana. Yeah. That I was young enough to be really susceptible to like the lure of whatever that ideal was. And I'm when I was watching Rebecca, because I, I had avoided Rebecca, not because like of this podcast, just because I didn't care. You know what I mean? It was like the one... Well, hitch it was your first time seeing it. Yeah. So it was the one hitch... It was... There's not the one Hitchcock film. I haven't seen a bunch of Hitchcock films. But it was like one of the ones that I was just like, I'm not interested, like at all, in whatever is supposed to be happening in this movie. And it got a criterion released recently. But, be, you know, coming after two movies that I had seen. Um, What'd you think of it? I didn't like it. Hmm. And it, like, that turn that you're talking about, I was like, this is an exposition dump. This is like the fucking king of exposition <laughs> dumps. It is. It is. But, but it's weird because as I, as I watched after the turn I kept saying to myself I wish this had turned sooner because now there's like stakes where before it was just like the second Mrs. DeWinter's feelings yeah, and now there's like all this stuff and Olivier's weirdness now all of a sudden makes a lot of sense but for an hour and this is a long movie for an hour i was yeah, just like that's a little over 2 but hours. it feels like forever yeah. that first of those really long two hours i was just like what is it's about an hour and 10 minutes before you get that turn i think yeah and i was like olivier stinks and i almost really, te- I, love olivier. I almost texted you like is the is like is this movie on your list because olivier is fucking terrible because it seems like he's just trying to get out of the, like we just joked about before he seems like he's trying to get out of scenes I couldn't understand what he was saying most of the time um, because he's just like D-d-d-d-d-d-d-d-d. he's delivering his lines in the way that he will deliver a line just like really quick and really rushed and really abruptly and I was like well, what is this guy's fucking problem but the twist comes and you're like I kind of get it now I, I get what his personality that he'd been developing never question the Olivier We've talked about my opinion. No, but the I VA. do question the Hitchcock because that's a big fucking exposition dump with no evidence going, like leading up to that point that any of what he says is gonna be the case. But
2: that's that's kind of a, it, an element of Hitchcock. Um, I suppose it is. Like, that's kind of what you get from
1: Hitchcock. But here's, and I'll draw a comparison. This is like something that I was thinking about because we just, you're good. Yeah, I'm going to get a bourbon. Because I was just thinking about it because we just watched it and I really loved it. And I was like, I'm thinking about Psycho a lot. Like, because I, th- it, I think in a different circumstance, I couldn't put it on a pivotal film list because, like, my pivotal viewing of it was at 38 when we decided to, like, we were most of the way through our pivotal our pivotal film list. I mean, I did that, but it really was yeah. But yours is different. Yeah, you know, what I mean, I haven't watched Psycho like fifteen times since you made me watch it that one time. Um, I really, I really dug it. Like, and I was really into it. And like, even The Ringer did like a Psycho, or did like a Hitchcock top five with a with Wesley Morris, who I've, I'm like obsessed with as a writer. Um, but they were just like, well, Psycho, blah, blah blah blah. It's it's okay, you know. It's this movie, and I was like, Psycho is amazing. But Anthony Perkins is, while he, you don't know the nature of what is happening inside of him or what's go, what like the nature of the plot is going to be going forward. In that conversation that he has um, with Janet Lee, and like in in the room when he gets into the sandwich and all of that those stuff. You get, a, birds. you get a hint of weirdness. yeah. And so what comes after is not... It's a surprise, but it's not unexpected, and it's not unearned. And so the, the exposition dump feels weirdly...
2: Felt weirdly unearned to me. And I was to the point where I was just like, what? And you know what's interesting about that is, is I One point I will make is, is three of the movies on my list from um, my Hitchcock. This... To strangers on a train. Yep. To Psycho, mm-hmm. it's kind of like this nice evolution of how Hitchcock. That's interesting. Yeah. Does a script like how not necessarily a script, but how Hitchcock delivers a story because, mm-hmm. like, Strangers on a Train has a lot of that exposition dumps, but it's so fun. But it's, but it's funny. Yeah. You know, um, I can't remember his name, the actor's name right now, but you know, um, it just it has a lot of fun with those exposition dumps, but it's it's happening. You know, it's it is. There in it Um, Robert Walker Um, you know Robert Walker is such fun in that let's say we're planning let's say you're planning a murder Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and then by Psycho you get some exposition dumps but mostly it is nuanced performances that are kind of like driving you towards what's going to be that exposition dump Mm -hmm. Um, and so I do kind of see this as an evolution I I it's it's just for me there, There's a lot of things working here Right And I get um, that Like mostly Like for me Like Judith Anderson's Mrs. Danvers One of the greatest like villains For me Of well, all Well she's time.
1: just so enigmatic You just yeah. don't know what her deal is The whole time That she's, she's in the house And
2: she seems Wholly inhuman As though she's yep. like a, a, a Sprite even of befo- floating, Even yeah.
1: before I actually questioned If
2: she was a fucking ghost Yeah Exactly Um, like floating but she just floats in and out like through everything and she has this like certain inhuman quality to her where everyone feels uncomfortable around Mm -hmm. her and you know anderson just nails that um and fontaine who like after i saw this as a 14 year old i just fell in love with Mm -hmm. um, like does that does a really solid control for 1940 of this really hapless scared girl who's in love into somebody who kind of like takes the reins Mm -hmm. like after she finds out the truth she really kind of takes control and that's it's it's you know it's it's that kind of weird juxtaposition that hitchcock had of strong women versus like his absolute misogyny. but -hmm. like you know she she ends up being kind of like a stronger woman yeah um and so there's things like that i really enjoy and it's it's maybe it's rawness that i respond to Mm mm-hmm um, because it's it still feels like a raw film, um. And it still feels it doesn't feel like a Hitchcock movie. Mm-hmm. No, like it doesn't everything? Every other film on my list feels like a Hitchcock film. This yeah. one doesn't. It has those those ties to Hitchcock, but it feels the most like something Hitchcock would do as like a studio project. Mm-hmm. But it's just because he hasn't really found his voice yet. Um, but it also has
1: it also doesn't have any of the stuff that makes Hitchcock films Hitchcock films because it is outside such of a like
2: maybe going through the flames to see the R. Like that's kind right, of like a right, Hitchcock right. flourish.
1: Because he really um, I mean he would push the envelope on all that stuff later.
2: Yeah. Uh and so yeah, maybe it's it for me it's always just been it it feels so pure I mm. guess as a film. That's feel. a good word. I I like um, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this is the only one of the best Picture, too, which is Crazy. Let's not talk about that?
1: <laughs> um, but it makes no sense.
2: Maybe it maybe it wasn't a solid year.
1: But I just love how like the most influential like one of the top five most influential filmmakers in the history of moving pictures One was associated with one Academy of was
2: was associated with one Best Picture winner. Directed and one Best Picture winner. Got five director nominations. Wins. yeah
1: it's fucking i mean and i don't even want to put like you know stanley kubrick i guess is another one of those guys but like
2: the thing about hitchcock is hitchcock made films that you could be like oh of course like that would win an oscar yeah like you'd look at it and go like you look at i just kubrick was, and go like oh, okay i could see like why in the time they wouldn't have given it to him
1: but well i've always associated stanley kubrick with thomas um Pynchon too much or maybe not too much but like I've always associated them with the sense that like Thomas Pynchon could have won every single book award that there ever was and he just kind of didn't and because it was just too it was too Thomas Pynchon for everybody he won a national book award for Gravity's Rainbow but he like that was it um but I think I think Hitchcock is in the same way like some things are just too hitchcockian to be appreciated on like a mass level enough to win an Academy Award. I mean, the Academy Awards have stunk for their entire existence, almost. Yeah.
2: Although, of the four best directors who have had five nominations without a win, who would you say is the best and the worst between Hitchcock, Clarence Brown, King Vidor, and Robert Altman?
1: That list is
2: a train wreck. Because you get one very good director, excellent director in Hitchcock, one very good director... In by door, Clarence Brown, I'm not familiar with. Me neither. And then fucking Robert. But here's the thing with Altman. Altman.
1: I just don't like... I don't respond to Altman. I don't respect Altman. But I, re- I guess I, res- I... I can't say that I don't respect him. I guess I respect him. I don't get it while simultaneously getting it, and I never responded to it once. Which has made it really hard for me to appreciate what everyone else is talking about when they're like, Robert Altman is the king of whatever. So I don't know
2: how to... He got nominated for fucking shortcuts, man. Who nominates him for short... Who nominates anybody for shortcuts?
1: Tom Waits isn't. I feel like it's all you need. It's good.
2: How many times have I shit on Robert Altman on this podcast?
1: We don't... I I feel like... I mean, I suppose we feel like we've shit on him, but I also feel like we just kind of are not like... We're not Altman guys. No. And maybe that makes this a bad podcast. Maybe no. we shouldn't be doing this podcast. I'm just not. You're, you're allowed to dislike. I tried really hard with the Altmans, and maybe that's why I don't respond to it, because I tried really hard, and I've never had to try with Hitchcock. And But Hitchcock I don't have on my list, well, but like, we've talked- I felt like excited by Hitchcock movies. I've never felt excited by Altman movies. I've just felt like they're slogs. I mean, we've talked about
2: why I hate Robert Altman, like, the, from a young, or not really young, but like. When I was like thirteen or fourteen, he directed Doctor T and the Women, mm. which still stands. Oh low. my god, Doctor T and the Women is awful. Which is, in my opinion, the worst film ever made.
1: The worst.
2: It is the least pleasurable film I've ever dealt. We're gonna with, have to do.
1: Ever. We're gonna have to do that list before this podcast like ends its official run. The worst films of all time. We're not maybe we'll just do like top five worst films. As we perceive them yeah. of all time.
2: I mean, I wouldn't call it the worst film of all time, but it's my least favorite experience with a film. Top five ever. least favorite films of all time. Yeah. It's good. But I, Rebecca, you know, was not, Rebecca was not one of those. Because
1: you just said that you said one that will be on yours, one of mine will be a Jason Clark film. It is called Mudbound. <laughs> it will 100% be on my list.
2: Wow. That's a movie I just forgot.
1: I I can't I don't even understand you know one of the reasons I, I have such a problem with that movie is because it got so praised and Mary, L- Mary J. Blige is pretty good in it that movie is awful I'm sorry D-Rees I, I wish you the, all the best in the world I just hated Mudbound I hated
2: every second of it yeah hopefully um oh well I forgot last thing he wanted already came out and got panned
1: yeah, it was a Netflix movie. Yeah, I forgot that. Was Woohoo! But I, Rebecca was an interesting experience, Mario. It was a very interesting experience, and I feel like it was. I feel like it. We talked about. Um, we're going to talk about
2: Rebecca again next month. Yeah, we will. Be, I'm I'm very interested to see. I like Army Hammer. I like Ben Wheatley's films. Yeah, uh, it'll be cool. Lily James is a decent choice to play, and Kristen and Scott Thomas are both good choices. Yeah, I think all three choices are good choices for. Yep. This. I agree, and it's and it it's specifically been said we're not. Doing Hitchcock, we're yep. doing the book. Well, and I think, Lily... and I think it, it stands. It stands. That book is is very, from my remember, from what I've read of it, is a mo- is super modern. Mm-hmm. And Hitchcock couldn't do a lot of that, like the endings changed yeah. because of the Hays Code stuff. Um, that I could see a modern take on it working.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm ex- I mean, I mean, I. I wouldn't say that
2: I'm excited, but I'm interested. I'm very interested. It would, it to see would be what great happens. though. Ben Wheatley goes very heavy kill list and just has a part where Army Hammer just bashes a guy's head in well, with yeah. a hammer.
1: I mean, Army Hammer now can do anything he wants. He's he's he is but, a billionaire. But well, between, between "Call Me by Your Name" and then his amazing turn in "Sorry to Bother You,"
2: uh, he's kind of earned his stripes. I I love I love him in Lone Ranger. And you love him in Lone Ranger. There you he's go. Fucking. Lone Ranger's great if you get rid of Johnny Depp. There's a crow on his head. Just get rid of Johnny Depp. That movie's really good. Johnny Depp's fucking garbage in that movie. You get a good William Fincher and Barry Pepper performance in that. Ooh, Barry Pepper, yeah. And William Fincher, always yeah. good. I can't remember who the main villain in that was, though. Doesn't matter.
1: Kenneth Branagh with spider legs.
2: I keep wanting to think right? it's Kenneth <laughs> Branagh, but it's not Kenneth <laughs> <Canada> Branagh. <laughs> oh, no, that's why I Um yeah all to but yeah, these next um next following two weeks and then a uh, break and then one more week after that actually we're the next like five of six films are kind of like the foundational movies of mm, how I see lot okay. of things right. so you
1: know i'm, I'm in, next like, two weeks are for sure I'm not excited to talk about the next two weeks of films for you, one of them because I hate it. And next week or the week next after. Next week, yeah. Okay. Next week, I'm just the week after that. I'm just interested. I'm really, really interested. I haven't ever. I haven't gone back to watch that whole thing in a long time. Uh, that's why I wonder
2: if it will play. I, my number fifteen is one of my most watched movies of all time.
1: So that's that's the whole thing I'm going to say. I know you love that movie. We've talked about it a lot of times. I haven't gone back to it since like we've known each other. Yeah. Not because like I've been avoiding it, but just because I haven't had. It's it's never been a movie that's like. Push any of any buttons for me. I also perceive it in my mind to be like seven hours long.
2: Like it, it American Showa somehow. You know what I mean? For me, still, it's crazy. But I just like I feel like there's there's. there's... I watched next movie next week's movie already, and I'm like, all oh, right, this movie isn't as good as I remember well, it. I, but it has to be there because I watched it like every weekend as a child.
1: You know what's great is that my kids still have not seen that version of yet, really? and I'm very excited to kind of show them and be like. Analyze without,
2: like, the person you know playing, like, the lead character. The person that you, like, are obsessed with playing the lead character. With a thousand percent less Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens. He's so good. (laughs) (laughs) Why
1: isn't Dan Stevens in Rebecca? That would be good. That would have been way better. Anyway. Anyway,
2: Mario. Who was the bad guy in... It wasn't Ruth Wilson. Ah, oh, Tom Tom Wilkinson's the bad guy Nice And what? In uh, the main villain in Oh uh, Lone Ranger William Fitcher's also Barry Pepper's in there Okay,
1: cool I thought you were talking about your next week's movie I was like
2: Who is he? He's <laughs> <laughs> Tom Wilkinson That
1: sounds Now I'm gonna rethink that whole movie
2: Alright We'll be right back with Tom You're number 17 Which is very similar to mine yeah
1: all right we're back um, we were gonna have a guest this episode the uh, the uh, one famous person we've ever had on this show his name is JP he's gonna come in he's gonna talk about this but he's not feeling well uh, so we're gonna do it without him although I'm his presence is is his absence is noticeable you know what I mean? Hi, I'm JP. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, JP. Um, my movie is a movie, so we you know, we talked several weeks ago, a bunch of weeks ago, about like, every movie that I'm going to talk about in this little chunk here could have been my number one. Every movie that up until my number one was at some point my number one, but this movie, these are when the things kind of fell off. So this is where a movie was number one for a while and then just kind of, lost it and I just watched this movie again for the first time in a while because the last couple times I had seen it I had watched the have you ever seen the director's cut of this movie It's horrible no um, because the kind of like every three hour long version yeah because of every every bad tendency that this director has in the director's cut is is accentuated
2: and does Kate not to say I swallowed your cum several times does Jason yeah. Lee say I swallowed your cum no she didn't um Francis McDormand. <laughs> if you, if you don't know what movie we're talking about,
1: uh, mine number seventeen is the two thousand Cameron Crowe film Almost Famous.
0: From Cameron Crowe, writer director of Jerry Maguire. If you're gonna be a true journalist, you cannot make friends with the rock stars. Just make us look cool. God, it's gonna get ugly, man. They're gonna buy you drinks. Don't take drugs. <laughs> okay. They're going to fly you places for free. It's Bowie! You're going to meet girls. We are not groupies. We don't have intercourse with these guys. Just blowjobs and that's it. Amen! On the road with the band. Your mom called! Rock stars have kidnapped my son. Yeah! Spirits run high. There's acid in the beer that's in the red cups.
2: How do you know when it's kicked in?
0: I am a golden girl! Innocence runs wild. Let's deflower the kid.
2: We need this story in four uh, days. It was, it was Nyquil. And over goes to Nyquil. And was to ride home
1: Me and Listerbanks have a lot in common.
2: Can I speak with William, please? Is this Marianne with the pot? Then the music.
1: Then the music. Oh man, trailer voice. Ah, I love trailer voice. Is that, the um, dead,
2: is that the dead one? Do you think, or is that the other trailer voice guy?
1: I don't know. It sounds newish. It doesn't sound like classic trailer voice guy. There's two of them. Sounds happy. The trailer voice guy never sounded happy. That guy sounds happy. Uh, I was so Mario mentioned that the movie. He just mentioned. Uh, I think I recorded it. I'll leave it in. The movie came out in limited release on September 15th, the year 2000. It was released in wide release on uh, September 22nd, 2000. I was lucky enough to see the movie on September 8th, 2000. They had a sneak preview of it.
2: You were at Tiff,
1: at the oh no, at the Orange Movie Theater. Um, I have my ticket stuff. I should have taken a fucking picture. Ah, damn it, Mario! I didn't what? take a picture. Why do you need? So a I picture? could prove to these bastards that I I did it. Actually, I could go
2: do it when I go home. Yeah, that's what I say. If, if I remember, we're not gonna. This on right now like live if, tweeting. I mean, yeah. Here's my ticket said So he's like, you know, reheard that you're recording right now, and you don't have the ticket stub <laughs> available on your computer. You your know tweeter. what's funny though? I have like a
1: I have a a, a a few movie ticket stubs. You know what ticket stub I have yeah. in my bag of ticket stubs? The Phantom Thread screening that I saw at Criterion, and I have no idea why I kept it, except I think it like fucked my life up for that day. I and like, I was like, I was like, I must save this ticket.
2: I've only kept one ticket stub ever. And it's a Finding Dory ticket stub, and I'm not sure why. Hmm. It's a mystery. It's
1: a it's a separate like multi part podcast. Yeah, like a serial like podcast in itself. I when I saw this movie, On Sarah Keeney, um, I was managing a record store. I was working in the mall. A lot of things came to or a lot of things. What happen- record store was this? National Record Mart. Okay. So they've since gone out of business. Is this the one you worked with? No, Chris was the bookstore. Chris was the bookstore. Okay. So there's a guy named Chris, guys, who we, we, I think we'll have Chris on the podcast after we finish the list when we're doing, like, kind of very specific things. I've
2: come up with a great idea for after. Yeah, we'll talk
1: about that. Um, I was working at a record store. A record store that I was, uh, it was tiny. I was the manager. We could do whatever we wanted. Um, I could listen to whatever I wanted. Music was my whole life. I was in, um, no, was I in a band at the time? I feel like it was not in a band at the time, but it didn't matter. I was playing drums, but every my whole existence was wrapped up in listening to music and selling music and talking about music and just being around music. I was traveling to see shows. I went to Syracuse to see a Black Crowes show. Black Crowes and Oasis, I saw them six times on that tour. Um, Jesus
2: Christ, what? Yeah. I, saw that. so that's... I once almost saw Muse twice, and I was yeah. like, that's too much. I saw them six times on a tour. I um... It's like that one
1: person who followed that Trick one band. The Led Zeppelin. Jay
2: Baruchel. The other person we talked about before that followed that one band. Might want to cut this part out. Who's the person that followed the band?
1: Um, so, Almost Famous, needless to say, was a big deal to me. I was not like a big Cameron Crowe fan. I loved Jerry Maguire. I was, and I, I liked singles because I thought I should because I love Pearl Jam. This but, is before Vanilla Sky. This is before. So Vanilla Sky is a movie that comes out right after Almost Famous. Um, I kind of don't like say anything. Is that allowed? Am I allowed to say? I don't say like anything, saying so. things. I I've, I've always found it very stagey. Like John Mahoney's the best thing and say anything and everything John Mahoney does in that movie is really like uh, telegraphed and like cliched.
2: Did he do? This is gonna be a dumb question. Did he? Did he do rebuilt a rebuilt a zoo? Yeah, he we did? bought a zoo. We bought a zoo. We're going no no, right no, no, no. We'll get okay. To okay.
1: That. okay. We'll okay. get okay. to that. Okay. I was not a I was not a huge camera pro fan, but I saw almost famous was good, you know I, I saw the trailers and I saw that it was coming out. You know I read magazines back then movie magazine premiere entertainment weekly all the things i knew this movie was coming out i love jerry Maguire, and i was like well this is gonna be my movie i was lucky enough through whatever i forget how i got them but to get these sneak preview tickets and i went with my girlfriend at the time and i was just like this is it like this is my whole life like i don't really know what else to say about it like it just explained my entire existence to me and i'll get to why in a second but, like, the soundtrack was really important to me. So we talked a couple weeks ago about American Beauty, which I, – so I come from a – you know, we're CD generation people. You know what I mean? Like, we bought CDs. Um, you bought CDs, right?
2: Like when I was 14 and 15. But you
1: bought – that's when I was 18. So, yeah, yeah. we bought CDs.
2: Um, By the time I'm, like, 18, I'm just downloading music illegally.
1: So I didn't Napster – I didn't really dig the Napster thing. So I, I still buy stuff all the time. I'm got. I've got a list of stuff that I'm waiting for now. For
2: for Spotify now. For Bandcamp, I don't feel music anymore. I'm waiting
1: for the Friday for next uh, October second is when uh, Bandcamp will. The next time they'll be waiving their um, their fees and they'll be giving all the money, all the proceeds from a sale of a record directly to the artist. So right now, if you buy something on Bandcamp, if you bought like right now, Bandcamp would keep like a small percentage of it for themselves. Is how they make a business, but. you should tweet that when it comes out. Every around. on the so, uh, every Friday since the pandemic has started, every the first Friday of every month since the pandemic has started, they've waived their fees and they give the fees directly. So I have a list of stuff. So I still pay for music. You
2: should, you should tweet. You should tweet a recommendation list.
1: I will. Happens. I will. Good. Um, I still bought CDs. I cherished my copy of this soundtrack. Like it was, it, it said everything that I needed to, to everything that I needed to be said about music. the soundtrack said, I got really into led zeppelin after this movie came out because led zeppelin is featured very heavily in this uh in this movie and i really didn't have like a sense of led zeppelin like i listened to uh wplr a lot and they played a lot of led zeppelin but they didn't play the stuff that was in this movie you know they played misty mountain hop but they didn't play the rain song they didn't play tangerine um they didn't play that's the way but they also didn't play them in the context of a kid being exposed full time to the most musicist thing. And I just made up a word musicist thing that you could be exposed to. You know what I mean? Following a band on tour, hanging out with them, talking about music, listening to music, having the needle drop when you enter in a, the backstage of an arena on yeses, um, all good people. Um, or running down the street in of New York City to Elton John's and Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's. Like, I didn't, you know... Obviously, Cameron Crowe didn't get to do that. Patrick Fugit didn't get to do that in real life. Uh, but in the movie, that all seemed possible. And to Tom Nolan, the 19-year-old Tom Nolan working at a record store... With a, a girlfriend and some money in his pocket, and like a bunch of new music just like available to him, like I could just open something at the record store and be like, "I'm just opening. It's a demo now," and just like sticking it in the CD player, and just like adding it to the demo bin and all that other stuff. It was the most significant thing that ever happened to me. I mean, almost famous was was when I saw it. I felt like it was never gonna not be my number one movie.
2: Well, really quickly, just on yeah, quick, yeah, yeah, though, um, the thousand dollar. 000- Criterion credit card. When what stage of life does, it, does that happen? At? This is right. This is in the
1: exact. This is maybe like that year.
2: So you're reaching like the crossroads of film and music. Oh my right. God!
1: Yeah, okay. I mean, I'm right. This is right in the meat of it. And that's there's. It's not an accident that a lot of these movies that I'm talking about are all roughly in the same year. You know what I mean? That like they came out in the same year. I saw them in theaters. I absorbed them in real time. And when I was developing as a person, I was encountering this art that i was just like latching on to you know what i mean there's a movie that we're going to talk about later that had a more i sig- had a more significant and foundational and longer lasting impact on my life that i saw at exact actually you know a bunch of movies that we're gonna talk about later i saw Road Trip. yeah Road Trip. um uh, that had the same kind of effect on me but here's the thing mara it's 17 it's not number. Even when I saw it in theaters. Did you see You didn't see this in theaters, did you? No. Even when I saw this in theaters. Not to not like. No, no, I no, just, no. Because I'm. How, go- how little music means to me. Mario, I'm going there right now. Even when I saw this in theaters. A, a bell like that went off. I wouldn't say in my mind. It was like. Where's like the most subconscious place you can carry a thought? Like, cockles. Your cockles. As Dan Maybe. Leary would say. A bell went off in my cockles. And I said, "That's weird. Like, that's strange." And as things were happening in the movie, I'd be like, "I'd get back into the like, I'd instantly get back into the movie." And then, like, a thing would happen, and I'd be like, "What's hmm. uh, okay? It's weird." As I came back to this movie this year, so this is the twentieth anniversary. This is going to go up on September twenty sixth. It will be. Four days, and we didn't plan this. Obviously, we didn't plan this. We didn't plan the, for a fucking pandemic to happen. We would have been t- to this movie three goddamn fucking months ago if everything wasn't a fucking shitstorm in America. I liked, I liked their little diversion. It the was record. no, it was really nice. Yeah. But we could have done that. We could have done that now. You know what I mean? We could have done our best of the year. We could have done our number ones, and then we could have been like, we're gonna watch the, you know, we're gonna watch the Sight and Sound list now. You know what I mean? Just for fun, just to hang out and drink and talk about movies. I watched it. And with with a lot of noise going on in my head with the 20th anniversary coming up in the um Jim Miller who is a guy who does stuff who maybe I should know about. I don't know. He does a podcast called Origins and he did a five-part podcast about almost famous. With interviews from like new interviews with Billy Crudup and Kate Hudson and Patrick Fugit and Cameron Crowe and like Francis McDormand and all these everyone Jason Lee everyone that mattered in the in the movie was on this Zoe Deschanel was on this podcast that just came out a What's couple Joey of weeks Deschanel ago. Zoe
2: Deschanel have to say I don't know she's
1: barely in this. So the Ringer kept you know picked up on that um, you know so my it was in it was kind of thrust back into my life right around the time we're gonna do this this do it for this list. And I watched it and all those things that I had that were like a bell in my cockles uh, was like a fire alarm in my cockles. Like that doesn't work anymore. It never worked, but it super doesn't work anymore. The big thing being that still water stinks. And we're drinking a Stillwater beer. For those who have not picked up on this, yeah, Stillwater. I'm drinking. Mar- Mario's I'm drinking. Wild Turkey. Something else. Wow, well, I'm sure Wild Turkey's in this movie. The band Stillwater fucking sucks. And they just do. I read. a am reading like a bunch of uh, novels
2: about rock and roll bands,
1: and they remind me of this band in this Taylor Reed Jenkins. Story. Are you
2: similar like Telegraph Avenue Michael Chambon book list?
1: Tell yeah, but the Telegraph Avenue is in a different section. So okay. this is because this is about bands. So Taylor Jenkins Reid has a, ba- a book called Daisy Jones and the Six, and she kind of fashions it, I think, a little bit after Fleetwood Mac plus one extra member. But the book and this movie are very reminiscent of each other in the sense that like the band sounds like it is not a very good band. Stillwater is not a very good band. And I noticed it at the time when I watched it in 2000. I was like, these songs are terrible. These are blues garbage. And there's no way that a band that plays blues garbage is going to be on the cover of Rolling Stone. Here's another thing. This movie is so weirdly earnest that when Kate Hudson delivers that just god-awful monologue... In the, uh, the the riot house, as it were. When she's like, ladies and gentlemen, tables and up and trade, blah, 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 blah. Um, I cringed. And I remember cringing in the theater like, this is pretentious garbage. This movie is so weirdly earnest, Mario. That it straddles the line more than any other movie I've ever encountered before. Between like heartfelt perfection and pretentious trash. And it's most of the time heartfelt perfection. Like most of the time. I would actually say if Cameron Crowe could choose a profession after everything that happened after this movie, it would be as a T-Bone Burnett style music director for films and not a director. Or a screenwriter, for that matter. Because he picks the perfect song to place to his images in every single aspect in every single moment of this movie that he's doing that it's perfect from like the the ones i mentioned before to the rain saw when Feruza Balk is walking into that that dressing room or that that backstage area after you know late in the movie and she's talking to billy crudup to america when zoe doshanel is getting into that car to like you know i've seen all good people yes and that thing misty mountain hop when they're crossing the bridge going into new york city when they're like new york city uh to mona lisa in Manhattan's, to my sherry and more when you know patrick few gets william miller is watching his his love penny lane get her stomach pumped it's just perfect but then there's that scene when they're all on the plane and they're all gonna die and if there's turbulence for ten minutes. The Leonard Skinner scene. And everyone gets a monologue. Everyone doesn't get a line, Mario. Everyone gets a monologue. And I'm well, just like uh, the punchline.
2: The punchline gets a, a line.
1: Which one? I'm well, gay. Yeah. That, yeah.
2: That, that, he gets a line. Right.
1: And that's you know that's we're comparing twenty year two thousand movies to twenty twenty movies and
2: that I'm, I mean that's still like funny though. Right. It's, it's still a good line.
1: It's still a good line, but it's also just kind of like... Nobody would care if the drummer of a band is gay. You know what I mean? Because I think most bands now... They play shows and they just go to a hotel and they sleep. And then they're just like... Alright, well, you know. Goodbye. Like, next show. Whatever. (laughs) The monologues in the plane... Are so rough for me. Like, because they're not crisp. They don't have... It almost seems like before Aaron, Aaron Sorkin has been a guy for a long time, but it almost seems like Aaron Cameron Crowe was kind of aping Aaron Sorkin when he's just like, I'm just going to give these people a lot of things to say all the time. They're going to have to say them. And it just seems so disingenuous now. Yeah. Compared to like the
2: earnestness of everything before. It right. feels like we talked about with Rebecca, like an exposition dump.
1: Yes, exactly. And you're just like, well, I thought they were going to die. At the, even at the time, I was like, okay, fine. That makes sense. But I was just kind of like, but it also seems really. This scene seems like convenient it's too long, inconvenient, right? So it's seventeen because it, it is the first movie that straddles that line for me, I think, or the last movie that straddles the line between being like amazing for a reason and also just kind of like eh, for another reason. And it's really complicated, and I just I have really conflicted feelings about it. Like, this movie got nominated for four Oscars, two Best Supporting Actress Oscars, which I'm assuming that, like, it split the vote and Kate Hudson got, you know, she Kate Hudson was supposed to win it, but she lost to Marsha Gay Harden for Pollock, which is a pretty good movie. Which also a pretty good performance. Right.
2: And Better I think... Better Kate Hudson is in this. And for I me. Think,
1: well, Kate Hudson's just electric. I don't know how much performance is going on, but she's just like, Huh, oh, there's Kate Hudson. Just lights up the screen, you know what I mean? Um... It won Best Original Screenplay and got nominated for Best Editing. Um, but it's also kind of largely been, I think, forgotten. Except this for is the
2: year of Beautiful Mind or? the year of Gladiator. So
1: it would have been Gladiator, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just. It's like. It's I'm a ball of conflict about this movie now. Like I love it, and it brings me oh my god. So I'm going to tell you a real quick story because I know we want to get to like talking about the movie and stuff. So after this movie came out, I got obsessed with Led Zeppelin. So I was working at the record store. Um, one of the things that happened at the mall that I was working at is that they were re they were renovating the mall. So there was a Caldors. Do you, you guys have Caldors in the mid in Nevada, Nevada?
0: Did you uh, have Caldors? No. So it was no. just
1: like a big, it was just like a department store.
2: Okay. Um, at the time. Like a JCPenney.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So the, at the end of the mall, the mall was bookended by, when I was growing up, it was bookended by a stop and shop and a Caldors. The Caldor. The cl- mall? The mall, yeah. I had a stop and shop? Where the Sears is in Milford. Have you been There was to a there?
2: grocery store? There was a
1: grocery store there. And then it moved across the street. There was a, a stop and shop and a Caldors. The Caldor closed. And then, um, Fye was renovating, so they took over the Caldors, and they were having like a big sale on everything because they just didn't want to keep all the stock that they had. So I bought a complete Led Zeppelin albums box set that was supposed to be like $120. I bought it for like $49. I literally listened That's to Led Zeppelin. Physical Graffiti. I I listened to so phys, I have so if we ever did a pivotal albums list, Physical Graffiti would be on that list because of of when I bought it and like what was happening in my life when I bought it and like all this other stuff so I I have sense memory I don't have that box set anymore because I just listened to the shit out of it and now I don't ever want to listen to Led Zeppelin ever again I number
2: one on that pivotal, pivotal Records no I don't know mine I could, I could do Pivot- I could do that really easily what is it Black Holes and Revelations you think so wow just because of like the, it was a pivotal part of my life yeah. I listened to it constantly I have no idea what it would be for me for Pivotal Record. Are you, surpri- are, you also, are you also surprised it's a Muse album? No, I'm not surprised at all that it's a Muse album.
1: <laughs> but I'm surprised that it's that specific. But only because it doesn't it
2: doesn't matter. Well, Absolution is the best one. but
1: I have like visceral sense and memories of getting that box. And being in that room and picking up that box. Because it was associated with Almost Famous from seeing this movie. Um, but there are questions now. Which you are going to articulate. I know it. And okay. which JP, I'm sure JP would have like very similar stories to me. I do have some, I have some opinions <laughs> on this. <laughs>
2: All right, go. I guess the thing that strikes me about this is not necessarily I don't have, I don't have a lot of questions about it. When I first saw this film, like right after it released on DVD, I remember being excited about the DVD because mm-hmm. I remember there being like, it being like one of those DVDs that was gonna have like a lot of the special features, mm-hmm. and so when I rented it, I was like really stoked about that because it had like a lot of the deleted scenes. Yeah, 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 like the Stairway to Heaven deleted scene, if I remember, if I'm remembering correctly.
1: Um, I think it just didn't have it in the context of the movie. Yeah, yeah.
2: When I watched it though, I felt like entirely devoid of emotion, mm-hmm. and I still feel that way just because it is at times so. I don't know if I don't know if "earnest" is the word I'd use for it, but clean. Oh yeah, cleanliness to it. Even the Lester Bangs, who's like nice. Yeah, there's there's a a deliberation to it, a real deliberate sense of creation. Um, To where, like, I roll my eyes when that tiny dancer scene comes on, just because it feels as though it's so bookmarked. So the curiosity I've always had with you in this film is I understand from like the emotional affect that it has on mm-hmm. you in terms of like when you came into it. And the reason I asked about the criterion question is like, you started like getting introduced to like a film mm-hmm. and I see almost famous as like bad film. Like, a lot of, like, <laughs> and, and this isn't to like shit on, it is kind of the shit on the movie, but it's not the shit on like the experience. Cause I understand like almost famous for a lot of people's has, has been this experience, mm-hmm. but I, ultimately feel as though... Yeah, 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 I get what you mean. Maybe because Cameron Crowe was like coming at it so closely that he he felt like he needed to be so deliberate in what he was making. <sighs> yeah. Um, That's a good... Because I think he's a good I filmmaker. Like I, I like, for all of its flaws, I like Vanilla Sky a lot. Mm-hmm. It, it, it has a lot of shit going on. But, but I
1: wonder how much of that has to do with him versus like that Tom Cruise and Penelope Cruz are like... Magnets, yeah, no, they're and pretty good. And you magnetic. could do like pretty much anything, and they would look okay. Diaz
2: does a pretty good job, like in her small role. But I bit think
1: she, at the time she was like that too. Like yeah. he ca- he cast get, like three very charismatic people to yeah. be in his remake of a movie. Yeah, it wasn't his movie.
2: He yeah, didn't develop open, it, but it's it's significantly better than Open Your Eyes.
1: Right, but I'm just saying, like he had. There's like a source there's material. There's
2: no Kurt Russell and Open Your Eyes. No, there's, um, but there there's. Uh, at least an experimentation there whereas I don't feel like there's experimentation in, in Almost Famous. There's like slapstick humor in Almost Famous where like um, Sapphire kind of like runs into the wall. <laughs> yeah,
1: you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It
2: just seems like there's these moments to like create levity just because he's trying to like tell this, this story. Seeing this movie at the time you did compared with like your uh, kind of like good. experience and exploration good. of film like how, how did that at the
1: time here's what i will say that, to that which kind of pigeon which kind of
2: like how this podcast is a lot of me interviewing you yeah. about your choices which
1: kind of that question uh ties directly to something that i want to talk about which is that this movie is about this movie talks a lot about being a fan you know what i mean like mm-hmm. whoa he's genuine he's a fan of the band he's not gonna like screw us over as a journalist he's a fan 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 or even like the band-aids like uh, you know, the the whole idea of the Band-Aids is, like, we're not, like, Groobies. We love the music. We're just music, to support not the, the band, music, whatever. Man. Even though it's pretty clear that they all have sex with the bands. But it doesn't matter. I mean, I fucked Billy up uh, Yeah. Yeah, at the time, a lot of people were having that exact same thought.
2: Oh, I'm saying right now. Oh, okay. Especially after Mission Impossible 3.
1: And he's got that Emmy under his belt now. Best Supporting Actor in a Drama or something. For,
2: oh. For The for Morning that, Show. For The board I was like, for Watchmen? But then I realized he was in the movie. Well, but it's hilarious.
1: They've been joking a lot about the fact that the guy that played Dr. Manhattan in the Watchmen HBO series also won an Emmy. So it was a good night for Dr. Manhattans. All Dr. Manhattans on film won Emmys last Sunday. And Zendaya. Isn't that nice? And Zendaya. Which is awesome. Good for her. Um, And Regina King is is
2: halfway on her way to an EGOT. I know nothing about any of this because I don't watch TV. So. No,
1: me neither. Um, I, didn't, I watched one episode of The Watchmen. I've watched zero episodes of Euphoria or The Morning Show or anything. Don't I have HBO matter.
2: Max right now, and I'm going to try to like, force myself to watch Love Ca- Lovecraft Country, but I'm not looking forward to it. No, me neither. Um,
1: I think one of the things that it means to be a fan, though... So this movie is kind of pitching fandom as like one thing. Like you, you universally or unilaterally love a band or uh, or a thing. You know what I mean? You, you unquestionably love the thing that you say you are a fan of. You know what I mean? It's mm. just you just love it. I th- I, for me, being a big fan of something has always meant being able to recognize its flaws and pulling out the things of it. It means so much to you that you can recognize its flaws, but pull out the things of it that really mean something to you. So I don't think Pearl Jam. I'm a huge Pearl Jam fan. You know, I've only seen Pearl Jam once, live, and I, me and my cousin drove to Chicago to see him because I was like, if I'm gonna see him, I'm not gonna go to just the fucking meadows. I'm gonna go do something. Why Chicago? Just because it just because it was know. like it was convenient to, to like I could get but floor it, seats but it for meant it. something. It was. 13 hours in a the car there, 13 hours back. You know, we parked on the street, like, in Chicago. We walked around, like, downtown Chicago. Like, my cousin fell asleep in a bar because we had been driving for 13 hours. And we it was the first time I encountered a bucket of beer. Like, you go into a bar in Chicago at that time and get a bucket of beer and a bucket with ice in it. Yeah. And we just sat there and drank that. It was the first time I encountered um, 312 as a, as a label. So now 312 is... Uh, is an Anheuser-Busch beer. They bought them. They were responsible for Goose Island. So before Goose Island was like a thing that you can get everywhere, Goose Island was a thing you can get in the Midwest. And we were drinking like Goose Island beers. You know, I spent like a hundred dollars on merch. Um, it was, a, it was a it was an awesome show. It was a great
2: show. In what in hundred dollars of merch in what year dollars? Two thousand six, So Like one hundred and thirty dollars, yeah. one hundred fifty dollars now.
1: Um. But I rec- But the project's last two albums, I think, are terrible. And I want to like them. And I've bought them. And I, I just, you know, it means something to me to have them, to support them. But I think they stink. I don't think there's any good songs in them. I think there's one good song out of the two records. I think Liking Almost Famous is a lot like that. Is that, like, even though I've become more um, educated and articulate in thinking about and watching film, I can't put away, like how what Almost Famous meant to me at the time. Interesting. Especially, especially because of some of the movies that are coming up later on my list that tie directly to music in, in, in a couple weeks specifically is that I've been able to kind of... I've been able to kind of... So I'm, I'm thinking about music a lot. I'm thinking about music in non-musical arts a lot because of something I'm doing for my MFA program. And... Um, Almost Famous does it the least is the least significant to me. So it's like it's like you can track this stuff. It's like so the last waltz is a concert experience. You know what I mean? It's in a great concert. I've had a bunch of great concert experiences. I'm writing about one right now for my class. Um for this thing that I'm working on. Almost famous is kind of next in that thing where it's you tie your existence to a to a to a thing. But that thi- you recognize that that thing might not be perfect. But you're still tied to it in ways that you can't really express with, like, words or whatever. It's just kind of in your heart. So, but which I think is good for Almost Famous. It's, you know, it's what it wants to be, I think. It wants to be an all-heart movie. It's not a head movie. Because if you involve your head too much in it, you're just like, why did Penny Lane even show up to New York? Yeah. Like, or that Stillwater stinks. Like... You know, William Miller is walking up, to, uh, walking up to Lester Bangs who would hate Stillwater in San Diego and talking like in depth about Lou Reed and David Bowie and he's like, Stillwater's great. If you like David Bowie and the Velvet Underground and Lou Reed, you don't like Stillwater. I hate to break it to you. You just don't. Um, you know what I mean? So that's your head talking though. And your head finds narrative flaws in the movie. This is, this is supposed to be based on... Allman Brothers? Well, that one picture is based on the Allman Brothers. The whole thing is really just kind of based on his whole experience as a teenager. Yeah, there are like the Bro-
2: like the jumping in the pool was Almond Brothers. Well,
1: and so is the picture. That picture that he shows is from the Allman Brothers live at the Fillmore East. Because the Almond Brothers are kind of like boring bluesy too. So, But the Allman Brothers are also a great bluesy. When, yeah. they're, when they're not playing whipping posts for like fifteen. minutes. I didn't realize
2: both of them are dead. I didn't realize both of them are dead. What, Greg and Duane Allman? Yeah. Well, have they're old. One of them died a long time ago. Yeah, I know one of them died a long time ago. Either, or one
1: but that's the thing. So like, what, so listening to... I just kind of talked about the fact that like, everyone's kind of doing a rehash of, of Almost Famous. One of the things that they're doing is talking a lot about the fact that this movie is supposed to hew so closely to Cameron Crowe's existence. I think the fact that it hews so closely to Cameron Crowe's experience is a bad thing. I think it kind of narrows the the sight of what it might mean to be a fan of rock and roll. Or be might be... It might be might mean to be a fan of anything i think he's purely thinking of what it meant to me to be a music journalist as a teenager which meant making concessions to things like terrible bands like stillwater just like how we're making concessions to this very questionable beer how do you oh, how yeah. did you feel about it like at the end of the beer
2: oh it was, it was very was forgettable yeah, it's forgettable.
1: I I'm like just kind of like it's just turned it into a, a beer.
2: There's a reason I switched to the yeah. uh the old sandboy of 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 whiskey.
1: Right. This beer that we have left will be a good editing this podcast beer. You know, just sitting in my living room with my computer on my lap just like taking small chunks of this out and then putting a neutral milk on the song at the end of it. Um but yeah, it's 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 at this after this point my my interpretation of film even with like my number two film which I would see like a couple of years after this but you know what is so I was thinking about this a lot I think one of the movies that kind of played a part in my uh, disappreciation of or universal appreciation of Almost Famous was storytelling because remember do you remember from the Todd Salons movie that we talked about way back yeah, in yeah, episode yeah, zero yeah, yeah. when at the end of the first part um, Selma Blair's like everyone's like telling her that her story that she wrote which is based off this true story is like a lie and she's like but it really happened. I feel like that's 100% at play here in this movie. Where he's just like this is what really happened to me and you're just like yeah, but it sucks. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it doesn't it's not as cool as everything else in this movie. You know what I mean? We're like the idea that like Billy Crudup's character, you know, Russell Hammond who's supposed to be this guitar god, just walks up to this reporter at a, at a, at a poolside in a hotel when everyone's drinking Miller High Life. And, and, and that reporter is just like, Russell, what do you love about music? And he's like, turn that off. He's like, let me tell you some real stuff. He's like, I'm better than this band. And you're just like, what? Why did you say that? Like, yeah. At no point up until now did, you, did we have any idea that you were better than this band. And then it goes away. Until that t-shirt comes. And then they're like, oh, this t-shirt says all the stuff. I'm better than you. Blah, blah, Just like, why did you say that? Why are you saying that to each other? And then Russell's like, I'm going to leave. And they're just like, but why are you leaving? Like, there's just two instances of this in this whole movie. Like, why is this here? And I don't think at the time... this is It's weird to think about the fact that this is his fourth movie. I don't think at the time Cameron Crowe was sophisticated enough to understand the idea of subtext. This movie has... No subtext. And I feel like that's actually a theme with me in movies, when I, you know, or when I'm coming back to movies. A lot of these movies that I'm talking about, a lot of, I feel like I've said that a lot of times, or maybe I'm talking about your movies or whatever. One of the things I'm very aware of now is the idea of subtext. And if a movie doesn't have subtext, but it keeps doing subtextual things or referencing inherent subtext that's not actually doesn't actually exist in the work, is a problem for me. And that, that's what this, so if we're saying earnestness, what I actually think is we're saying is that this movie has no subtext. Well. Has none. And we're going to talk about a movie next week that is all subtext. And that movie is fucking genius and is forgotten to the annals of time. Um,
2: you know, but, yeah, go. The one thing, and I don't want to change subjects though here. But the one thing I find interesting is that your appreciation of this film in terms of its music and its, like, weird earnestness with Mm -hmm. all of its flaws hits me around the same age as another Patrick Fugit movie. What's... Oh, uh, the... Wrist wrist Cutters. cutters? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, you know, that entire soundtrack's, like, all go-go Bordello. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, I feel like we've had, like, hours of Shannon Sossman conversations in our life.
2: Yeah. Well, she's from Reno. Yeah. Um, But, like... I think I'm, like, 20 when I see wrist cutters. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting how, like, I feel as though the mind space where Almost Famous inhabits for you is what wrist cutters inhabits for me. And I think the problem with... You get Tom Waits, Tom Waits music, you get some... And you get Go Go Bordello for me, like...
1: I think the difference is that Almost Famous ties directly to a lifestyle choice that I had already, if not made, I
2: had subconsciously made,
1: mm. which is to devote myself to this thing.
2: And risk-cutters is like a, a mind state for me, like a, there you go. a state of mind yeah. sort of situation. Well,
1: the thing, so Almost Famous is a real thing. It was tactile.
2: I and Maybe that's
1: there in the movie, too. Um, I could almost touch it. Like, everything that was happening, I could picture myself in, like, the William Miller role. You know what I mean? Of just being, like, an appreciative music fan kind of just following people around I and think, being like
2: I think the one thing I really appreciate about Almost Famous is everything has a tactileness to it. Like yeah, especially oh, it's when great. Lester and William are sitting in like the diner. Right. You kinda want to be in do. the diner with them.
1: Right. You know? Because it just feels so real. And so one of my problems with this movie is that a lot of the drama of it or a lot of the best moments of this movie take place over phones. Mm. And I feel like a I feel like a better filmmaker, and this is not to criticize Cameron Crowe, a more experienced filmmaker, a better filmmaker, finds a way to put, have those conversations take place in person somewhere. So the Cameron, maybe the Lester Bangs scene lasts longer, where they're in person together, and then he goes away for the whole film, and he has like a reminiscence of talking to him about the thing, you know what I mean, to replay later. But even like the stuff with William and his mother, and, uh, you know, or or Russell and William's mother and stuff like that. It's just too it's too distant. There's too much distance. It's too convenient to have this stuff take place over the phone. I know he's supposed to call home all the time, but I know we know he's in hotel rooms. We know it. Yeah. We see him in hotel rooms. Why would he ever choose to make a phone call in the backstage area of a concert when there's another concert going on? it just seems too convenient for that moment to happen, you know what i mean? Yeah, no, exactly. And that's one of the things i love about a movie like Her Smell, which is that like when things are convenient to happen, the inconvenient thing happens. And which is just, you know, Elizabeth Moss's character's entire existence is inconvenient for them for the first or actually for four out of the five uh parts of the movie. Um but i think that's a more probably honest and viscerally realized it's like a viscerally realized honestly depiction of, of um what it means to be in a band than like what is happening in this movie Well, I think where I, there's just a lot of sitting
2: around i think a lot of the issue and this is this is me reaching for stuff is that cameron crow got famous very early yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like Fast Times originally went High He's, like twenty six when he. Writes I don't even that. think he's that old. Is way he twenty six or something like that? Um, but he was a
1: famous as a as a yeah. rock journalist way before that.
2: So eighty two Fast Times comes out. He is fifty seven. So he's twenty five when Fast Times comes. When out. it comes out,
1: but he, so he was doing research like, for the book yeah. way before that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. So he's probably like twenty three mm-hmm. when a script gets sold, and he's had the experience. So like he's he's kind of. I think thing about Crow. I've also had a problem with is he feels kind of like stuck in place mm. in terms of like is this is a reach that I'm going to say like an emotionally developed yep. stuck in place. Fine. Good. I think it's right. Um, to where things feel really honest for him mm-hmm. and they feel really honest for like his what he's proclaiming. I know. Yeah, but yeah, they yeah. don't feel real for the world.
1: But that's how it happened. I mean, that's that's the, it is, that's the storytelling thing right there yeah. in, in a nutshell. in like, We Bought a Zoo, Aloha, Elizabeth. Which I, I
2: like We Bought a Zoo quite a bit. Do you it, really? I like We Bought a Zoo because it has this childlike innocence to it. But that's... isn't Which that, works but, for him.
1: Right, so it works for the idea of the movie. But doesn't that kind of align with, like, whatever problems we're saying we have well, with, like, Kevin no, exactly. Crow? That, like, it all feels so honest to him, but in reality, it's not... It's so personal that it's it's can't be universal. Yeah, but I
2: think I think rebooted Zoo is something where that works because mm. it's so saccharine. Mm. Um and he's kind of like I think he's kind of just a saccharine guy ultimately and the fact that like there are like almost famous it, it's it's nice cuz like some of his films have like, the, like I kind of want to see him do a kids movie cuz he has like this childhood like there's still like this innocence to everything mm-hmm. he does.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Um Which makes almost famous not work for me because like it you're surrounded with all this like the grime of it or whatever, but it never feels grimy. Yeah, yeah. It just feels like a kid describing the way in which rock might work.
1: Well, that's the thing. I don't know if Max's Kansas City actually looks like a TGI Fridays, but he made Max's Kansas City look like a TGI Fridays. Like, that's a failure. So it's supposed to be grimy and like. In the fucking shit. You know, but it's not at all. Like, he never gets to that. He never drags you down to that. Or how Russell
2: Russell never actually seems like a mess. He seems like he drinks too much and doesn't want to be a part of the band. But he doesn't seem like the fucking drugged out mess. Right. Shitting himself that he would be, probably. So,
1: one of the things that I've always found really problematic with this movie is that, like... So, one of the needle drops that I love is that when the first time he meets Stillwater he goes into the backstage area and they start playing that yes song in the very beginning of i seen all good people and it's so bright and like open and stuff like that but he's there to review black sabbath and Stillwater, which is a shit blues band but the first song we hear is this idealized yes song you know what i mean Mm. but that's like that's the whole thing is that he's it's this weird idealism that seems to trump honesty. Which is which wasn't a which was kind of a problem at the time. I would say that it was like one percent a problem at the time. This is like needling shit in the back of my neck just being like, I just don't get that. But now is like like a thirty percent of a problem. Where I'm just like, That just doesn't feel real. Like none of this stuff feels real. It feels like a fairy tale, but it doesn't feel like an earned fairy tale. It feels like it's trying to have your cake and eat it, too, for this movie to feel like, from Williams' perspective, to sound like a fairy tale, but also be a nitty-gritty, down-and-dirty rock movie. Can't be both things. Yeah. And, that's, and it's just weird now. It's just weird. But it also, I think it makes it even it's more 17 for me that I have so many questions about it. I have so many feelings about it. I have so many more feelings about this movie, like real, actual feelings, than I do about lots of other movies. Like so it feels bad actually to watch this movie and be like, That seems disingenuous. It doesn't feel good to say that to myself. It feels shitty because this movie meant a lot to me. Um which I think is probably the mark of a movie that's kind of attached itself to you, you know, beyond what you you know, control you have over whether or not things attach themselves. Yeah, there's to definitely
2: it. movies high on my list that people have made criticisms about and I'm like, Go fuck yourself. What yeah. are you saying?
1: Nothing, I mean, I, there's just nothing not I can do my about throat that.
2: Throat and just be like, you're wrong. Well, I,
1: just, I think I think a lot about my number four movie in the sense that I think a lot of people have had a lot of weird things to say about it, and I'm just like, I don't my know. My what...
2: number four movie has well,
1: right? So he thinks that that will be good. Like, I don't really know what to tell you. Most people
2: don't like my number four movie. Me, so.
1: and I think a lot of people like my number four movie, but they don't know why. And I think I'm one of those people where it just kind of defined some unknown aspect of my existence which I think is fully correct and honest even when it seems like it's from the most pretentious film. even though it's from like the most f- pretentious film director ever it seems like the
2: most honest expression I was, of something in my life. I was life. one of those people who was confused about your number 4 movie. Right. I um, think you're also confused about my number 4 movie so it's, I'm not confused. It's the most recent one. I'm not confused.
1: I... Get it from agree slash disagree,
2: but you understand from a Mario perspective. I think so. Yeah, but yeah, almost famous. Next, yeah, week? it's a it's an interesting one. Almost famous is an interesting one because I really don't like it, but it's one of those movies where I'm like, when anybody says they love it, I'm just like, it makes sense.
1: Well, I just don't think it's your movie.
2: No, I hate, no, and no, you
1: have know. your movie. Everyone, so actually, that's actually a perfect way to put it. Almost famous for a second, felt like mine. And it belonged to nobody else. And even my girlfriend who went to see it with me, I was just like, fuck you. Like, Is that why you broke up with her? No, we broke up all over Shadow of the Vampire. You mentioned that before. I almost put that on my list because of that from a conversation we
2: had before shadow of the vampire did she did she really get upset when carrie always got his neck broke
1: it had nothing to do with shadow of the vampire it was about a, a totally unrelated conversation we had right before the movie started and then the movie started and then it was just like oh man like we're <laughs> we're gonna break like then we watched the whole movie and then it was like oh we broke up now we are
2: broken up you have to tell me about that off air yeah i've yeah, yeah. heard the story um that's a that's a long relationship yeah, the yeah, Shadow yeah. of Vampire came out in, like, two thousand 2001. Uh, I thought it was O1. Was it? Was it one? I thought it was O2. I got I got I got
1: Mario got the command center going.
2: I got two screens now, guys. And one of them... Oh, it was a 2000 movie. Never mind. So, it wasn't so yeah, movie. it was, like, right, right. around that oh, yeah. time. Taking a photo of the command center?
1: Yeah. Put <laughs> right in the, like... It'll be the one photo we've posted of ourselves, and it will be me taking a picture and you looking at two screens. We'll State be of,
2: anonymous. State of Connecticut, this is not your monitor you gave me. <laughs> anyway. I only use it for the podcast and work. Don't worry.
1: No, you use a separate monitor for work. Yeah. You have your own two monitors. You've always used it. Now, as as the world is declining, sure. it, seems we, it seems more necessary
2: to have a command center. Exactly. Yep. If you want a command center, (laughs) you can tweet us, at filmpivotal. I also paused there because I was like, do we have more to say? I don't have any more to say. That's why I was like...
1: JB, do
2: you have more to say? I'm good.
1: I don't know why, I find it's so funny.
2: Because he, because every time he's on this podcast, he just goes like,
1: "No, but that's the thing." The lost, the last waltz podcast was awesome because it was just like an Archie Moore's side street experience for the three yeah. of us. I almost found like, I almost wanted one of us to just ask for more popcorn
2: for some for some like undressed imagine... waitress that was like working in like December at side street. Could you imagine how great that is? What would be if we just had somebody giving us popcorn, Florence Kasdan? Was giving us popcorn. Overly salted popcorn. Well, overly salted.
1: Yeah, I mean that's what was good. Correctly salted. Correctly salted. But though, isn't this like the saddest part of the pandemic, Mario? Is that like we? I have all these sense memories of now of being sitting at a specific table at
2: Side Street. As we were finishing our conversation on Almost Famous, I looked down at like my laptop and saw like my OBS studio from like when I tried to stream for a bit and mm-hmm. I realized I was bored with it and didn't like it and then I looked at the date of 9 23 20 and realized we're exactly six months and one week from when like lockdown stuff started it's exciting to know about huh? I
1: mean it's exciting and I'm glad we're doing this in person now but like there's so many weird things that like aren't don't exist anymore
2: yeah beer collective
1: we just we're gonna you just mentioned number four the last film experience i have
2: in a theater that's my second to last film experience was seeing
1: your number four and it's i think it means something very next because of that
2: yeah well for sure for me like that plays a big role in it yeah the very next day so my last film experience was invisible man we switched it the very next yeah, day. We yeah.
1: we had the exact same we had the exact opposite experience. Everyone, very next day.
2: Everyone knows where my number four is right now. <laughs> <I think>. Onward. <laughs> yeah. It's onward.
1: Um, or you can go to Pivotalfilm.com, which I recently updated. Uh, and you can see lists of the movies on our list or the beers that we drank, which I've re I've started doing based on episode because I have no idea what date we drank anything, because there was so much time between all of those episodes. Um, or uh, how to subscribe, or what, like what we recently posted on Twitter. Uh, or you can... Uh, is that it? Is that it? Is that all I say?
2: Uh, Pivotalfilm. Did you say...
1: pivotalfilm.com?
2: Did you say that?
1: Yeah. What yeah, else I
2: did I say, say? I think we say... You shouldn't go see a movie, because...
1: Well, you do whatever you want. Do whatever you're comfortable with. You ah, can't hang out here. Yeah. But you do whatever you're good with. Uh, you... Uh, Go see whatever movie. See whatever movie under whatever context you can see. It. Go Drink see My War with
2: Grandpa. The coming out in theaters sometime in October. I saw a trailer for that. Christopher Walken and Robert De Niro in a kid's movie.
1: Yeah. Do you think De Niro has anything to say over whether or not something gets released? Because I feel like he'd be against releasing a movie.
2: I, I I feel as though he likes money.
1: Honestly. Yeah, I think he does like money. Do you think you just reinvested it in the New York Film Festival? The Tribeca? Yeah, or Tribeca film. Probably. I hope so. Robert Redford always did, right? Yeah. Yeah, Sure. All his naturals and residuals all went right in there.
2: Uh,
1: watch a movie, drink a beer, and we'll talk to you next week.